episode of Talkin' Movies. I'm Max. I'm Tim. How's it going, Tim? Pretty good. Pretty yeah. good. <laughs> we just had our, our basically a whole other podcast <laughs> before this that we didn't record. Um, not about movies, but, you know. Not at all. It's crazy, like, ever since we started doing this, like, <laughs> on nights where we record, like, I just find that, like, I'm just so much more talkative, you know? Like before and after we we record, it's like, yeah, I can't, I can't stop talking, which is just not the way that I usually am. But it's good that we did that sort of like before we record, so now we're just we're warmed up and we're going right in. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, we've had ourselves a pretty busy week. Yep. We spent last uh, last week a couple of days uh, shooting some scenes for the Lake Nowhere experience. And I call it that because it's it's not necessarily a part of the the movie of Lake Nowhere, but it's uh it's a little little extra something something special that I think is going to be really awesome. We had the hunger. Yes, and uh we satisfied that hunger with beer. Oh. <laughs> Are you intrigued yet? <laughs> um, no, a lot of people who have probably anyone who's listening to this is probably friends with us on Facebook or some of our friends on Facebook, and probably seen a stream of photos from the shoot. It was a lot of fun. It was it was it was really great. How did you enjoy it? I enjoyed it uh, quite a bit, and um, on my side of it. I think it might have been more enjoyable than yours because I didn't have to make any decisions. People just told me where to stand and what to do, and I did it. Yeah. And uh, it was nice. So um, it was still somehow exhausting, even though it was just three days. And, like, compared to, like, like nowhere, it's not, I mean, people went home at the end and everything, but, yeah. like, everybody was just so tired by the end of it still. I mean, it takes you out. It takes it out of you. I mean, you know... Movie making is, it's a very exhausting process, not just physically, but just mentally it's taxing because your attention is like on so many different things. Um, I was co-directing with Chris Phelps and uh, you were acting. I was. I don't know if any of my footage will end up in the final product. But. Oh, there's definitely at least one shot I know for sure that we're going to want to use. <laughs> yeah, with you and Matt Hauk. I'd like to think that the shot where I actually kind of got a little nauseous will get in. Um, what was what was the nauseous shot? Well, there's a shot. I don't want to spoil anything. <laughs> uh, there's probably not much to spoil. All right, yeah, there's a shot um, 
the, down the bar where the bartender slams the beer down. And then on the beat, we pick the beer up and start drinking. Mm. And I don't even know if our heads were in the shot. No, they weren't. Yeah. Okay. Well, I didn't know that. Oh, uh, so bad, bad directing. And neither did. Um, oh, who was I right next to? I want to say Sarah Bates, but I, I don't remember. Or was it Ian? I don't know. Whoever I was next to, they didn't know that either. They had beer in their bottle. I always had water. Mm. Um, so they were just taking sips anyway. Yeah. But like I was like pounding, like I was throwing back bottle of water after bottle of water. And I like as soon as it started, because I was the first one in line. So when they slammed my bottle down, I picked it right up and started guzzling. As they went down the line, everybody else did theirs. And I didn't stop guzzling until they said cut. And that's a lot of water. We did like 10 or 11 takes or something like that. Holy cow. And I was, I mean, I'm glad it was water, but I still like, it kind of felt weird. I I had no idea that (laughs) we weren't clear about what our, what the shot actually was. People were throwing them back. Yeah. In, in the director's defense. (laughs) Um, that was one of the, one of the late shots. A lot of people had already been drinking quite a bit, there, and it was kind of hard for them was, to take direction in the first place. Yeah, it was quite a crazy shoot. We were shooting at Googs, the bar, and it was it was awesome. Mike, the owner uh, of Googs, got to give a shout out to him because he was just fantastic with giving us everything that we needed. And what was awesome is like he got us a keg of beer, and. I think he was just charging like $1, yeah. $1 beers all night. Yep. And we had like, we brought a good amount of people. I think there's probably around 30, 30 or so people in and out throughout the night. And we were there like, you know, for a long time. Like we didn't get out of there until two. Yeah. I left around, it was a little after one thirty, and I mm. think everything was almost done getting cleaned up and yeah. stuff. And it was kind of like controlled chaos in a way, because essentially for, for most people there, it was just hanging out like at a at a bar, having like a, a your own private party almost. And every so often, somebody was <laughs> like, like, "Hey, you, yeah, over there, come over here. We need you to stand right here yeah. and act really excited." <laughs> so and- it's like it's like keep having fun, but just do it over here yeah. with with this. And, it's and like, we had awesome. the music on the jukebox blaring oh the whole God. night. And it like, was a great time. Oh, it was a blast. But um, yeah, it was it was a little like kind of crazy to get the direction across sometimes. But I, um, <laughs> and I, I'm pretty sure, like, like I said, I was just drinking water. And when I first like gave him my bottle to fill up with water, he was like, sure, beer's only a dollar. And I'm like, no, I'm good. And he was like, oh, okay, I'll give it to you for free. Wow. He said, and I was like, oh, no, 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 I'm driving. Like I said that. And he's like, oh, okay, cool. Here's water then. So like. It's possible that there were some people who were just getting free beer also. Dude, because I mean, he's an awesome guy. Mike's the man. Yeah. He's like know, he, I, he thought I didn't have a dollar to buy yeah. beer and he was gonna give me a free bottle. Like that's awesome. Yeah, he's 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 the best. You know, and I'm in the, the band William Hale and we play there we've played there quite a lot this year. This will be the second time this month coming up, right? Yeah, because we're playing on Friday, though. You guys listening in the future probably would have already <laughs> passed, but um, but I don't know. Every time we go there, Mike is just awesome. Like he, he get we get to drink free all night, and you know he pays us well, which you would expect would kind of be the 
the standard kind of deal that a bar would give a band. Yeah, because the band brings in all the customers. Yeah, and like, and that's something that Mike clearly understands. Like when we show up to play, like we bring a lot of people. And it seems like ninety percent of the people we hang out with didn't even know Googs existed until you guys started playing there. Exactly. And yeah, now so. it's like a cool place to go. Yeah. Like after Ryan's birthday party, he he'd gone to Googs because you guys had played there, and he was mm-hmm. like, "I feel like going to Googs," and a ton of us went to Googs. Yeah. So, I mean, you you would just be shocked, like, how many places will be booked at to play, and they just act like total dicks about it. But, I mean, and that's why, like, the Mikes of the world and the, and the Kims, they're, they're the ones that you want to, that you want to deal with. Kim from, from Wallabies. She's great. Yeah. But anyway, that was quite a tangent. Wolf White. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Wolf White. Yeah, so you know, we're getting ever closer to finishing like nowhere. It's it's definitely it's close now. I'm starting to smell it. I'm starting to taste it. So hopefully that'll be that'll be ready to be seen soon. But speaking of seeing stuff, I recently watched a movie. Actually I just watched it last night. The Muppets Most Wanted. I saw it in the theater. The trailers looked. Um, they didn't. The tra- I I didn't like the trailers, but it looked like one of those things where like I could see myself liking the movie. Mm-hmm. Was it a good movie? It was an awesome movie. Great. I loved it. Okay. I had such a great time. Cause like the the one from a couple of years ago was amazing, and I'm so happy that it, they like got sort of like the Muppet attitude back. Right. Uh, right. Yeah. I mean, like I saw the the. The Muppets is what it's called, which is kind of a confusing name to talk about in conversation. Yeah. Because <laughs> you're like, oh, the, the Muppets, the, the movie that came out. You mean the Muppets movie? No, not the Muppet movie. That's the first movie. No, but the first movie, this is the sequel. The first movie is called The Muppets. Yes, I'm talking about that one, not the, like, oh, right, the, the Muppet movie. No. The Muppets from 2012, was it? Feels like 11. Could have been 12. 11 or 12, whatever. The first one with Jason Siegel. For all intents and purposes, we'll call it the first one. For now. All right. It's the first one of this new era. But anyway, I saw the first one, and um, I liked a lot of things about it, but it still was kind of, was somewhat disappointing to me in some way. Because on the one hand, like, it was it was great to see the Muppets back, and they're acting like the Muppets, and they're like, you know, there's some real heart there again. Yeah. And, and on that stage, like and all yeah, the sets and and it's not Muppet just show. about like bringing the Muppets back; it was about bringing the the Muppet Show back. Yeah. And that was really cool because none of the movies like ever really touched on that before. So I thought that there there was some really great stuff, and you could tell that it was made with with real love and affection. But at the same time, it like I just didn't like how. It was so centralized on Jason Siegel, Amy Adams, and the new Muppet, Walter. It was really like their movie. And there are just like so many scenes where it's like about, you know, this drama between Jason Siegel and Amy Adams. And I'm just like, I don't care. You know, like, just give me the mu- I want to see Kermit and Fozzie and Gonzo and Miss Piggy, you know? Like, what's their drama? Like, spend more time on that. Like, less about, like, you know, are we, are we going to get married or aren't we? You know, it's just like, come on. 
So I, I didn't really like that whole aspect of, of the Muppets. But this new movie, and I, you know, I didn't even really see many of the trailers for The Muppets Most Wanted, so I didn't really have much expectation. It played before almost every movie I saw Bowtie last month. Yeah. So so really the only thing that I had to go on was like the poster, which has like Ricky Gervais and Tina Fey and that other guy. Ty Burrell. Ty Burrell. Is he on like... Phil? From Modern Family? Yeah, see, I don't watch Modern Family, so... You, it's a really... That's one of my favorite shows it's on right now, as far as, like, sitcoms go. Hmm. Not Um, that there's a lot of competition. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But, so, the poster has those three, like, pretty prominently featured. So, I was like, uh, is it just gonna be, like, the Ricky Gervais show, you know? Or, like, is it is it just going to be, like, all about... The Ty Burrell show. Exactly. He's the voice of Mr. Peabody, so he had, like, two big, like, movies come out in the past couple of weeks. That's That's got to feel good for an actor. Yeah. Like, you know. And neither one of those... Like, I haven't seen Muppets Most Wanted, but based on the trailer, like, neither one of the characters seems anything like the guy who's playing on Modern Family, mm. so... Yeah, he was playing kind of, like, an Inspector Clouseau kind yeah. of role. Is he the character with... The scene with the badges where they're him and yes. Sam the Eagle. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He's basically like a French investigator detective guy. Um, we'll get back to Inspector Clouseau when we discuss the movie the night later. Really? Well, Pink Panther at least. Oh. Of, because of the. Okay, I gotcha. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> hmm. but, what uh, movie could it be people listening to this you can clearly see the poster right there on the link <laughs> yeah um but anyway so all i saw was just like this poster which had like you know look at the stars and so i was just like ah, hopefully it's it's good but man oh man does this movie feel like a cla- like one of the classic original muppet movies it it really is very much in the same vein as like Great Muppet Caper and Muppet's Take Manhattan. Like, those are both its, like, main inspirations. And in a lot of ways, it's kind of, like, a mashup between those two. Those are the two I watched the most of when I was growing up. And the best part about the movie is that, like, there are just genuinely hilarious scenes. And it's just, the movie's just packed from beginning to end with just, like, funny little bits and little moments. And, uh... Like, they just try to cram something funny in, like, every single shot, almost. And it was it was great. I, I really, really, really loved it. It made me just want to go home and watch The Muppets. Just, like, because I just wanted more. Were there, uh, song, like, several songs? Like, yep. new, like, original yep. songs? new original songs, which... A few of them were were really really good and very clever. Um, none of them were really bad. Like even in like the in the first uh, Muppets movie, there's the song that uh, that Chris Cooper did, the sort of like rap, hip hop sort of like. Oh uh, yeah. Um, what's his name? Uh, Tex Richmond. You know, like I'm Tex Richmond. This is what I do. I'm a bad guy. Blah blah blah. And it's just like, eh, you know. I remember finding it amusing because didn't it just like wasn't it just an abrupt thing like all in one shot like he kind of like bursts into it and then sits back down like nothing happened. That's how I'm remembering it. Yeah, I don't, I don't quite remember. I, I after seeing this, like I, I want to watch the that movie again because I, I like I'm me like, party. Amy Adams. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot about that. 
I'm having a me party. <laughs> I think that was the first thing that like, I really like saw her in, though. So I was like, who is this amazing person? And then this past year, I found out. Hmm. <laughs> Naomi Adams is great. But... Yeah, the, the the song I really liked in the in the first one was the one that Kermit has towards the beginning, where he's like in his mansion, and they're like the paintings on the walls of all of his, all like the Muppet characters, and it's sort it's a song about like I can't even remember what it was about. I don't remember the song. Oh. I remember the paintings in the mansion, and and he's it's like getting sad already. Like it's early in the movie. I'm yeah. already sad. Yeah. <laughs> Because, I mean, it was a good indicator of, like, this is a real Muppet movie because yeah. it has, like, that kind of... There's emotions behind yeah, it. Yeah, real emotions, just... you know? Yeah. I, I recently rewatched the 1979... The Muppet movie? The Muppet movie, yeah. Because Kayla hadn't seen it all the way through before. And so on Friday night, we uh, we watched it. And it was great to, like watch it with someone like it's a movie that i've seen like a dozen times you know <laughs> over the course of my life and it was fun watching it with someone who had never seen it before and like a lot of the jokes were were fresh and new and uh and just seeing like how well some of those things played you know like i take for granted like the song like you know never before and never again but like when it happens and you don't expect it, it's like hilarious, you know. And so I was watching it through that kind of like prism, and it was it was great. I saw that um, projected outside of Kernel Library this past summer with uh, I went with Kate Lapointe, and we'd both seen it a bunch of times. Mm. I mean, no, I didn't. I was sick that night. That's why I wasn't at work. <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> and it what what sucked is it was re- they started it like half an hour later than it was supposed to be. So like a lot of the little kids in the audience left uh. because I don't know, they couldn't wait half an hour cause they had to go to bed or something. So it seemed like a lot of the people left out of maybe the 20 people who were there were people who had seen it a lot growing up and everybody like already liked it. Right. Um, although the projection kind of sucked and it, like, it was, it was, don't go to those. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> like I like art in the public eye and everything, but as far as the projection goes, they don't, really know what they're doing yeah but anyway aside from that like even through like the crappy picture and the weird oddly shaped image and everything like all the songs and everything we were like really like yeah yeah totally it's great so i as a as a big muppet fan and someone who's seen all the muppet movies and have loved it my whole life muppets most wanted gets a big big thumbs up for me i i thought it was great there are, there are some funny bits in that movie that, like, even today, um, I went to see it with Chris and John, and we were in the car earlier, and we were just, like, ta- talking about certain scenes and just laughing again because they're just so, so great. And it, it really, it puts the focus squarely on the Muppets. Like, they carry the whole movie. You know, like, Ricky Gervais and Tina Fey and Ty Burrell are they do real they're they're good in it they're really great but they're great supporting roles they don't take over the movie and they don't pull focus from the the core characters in the same way that like you know doc hopper in the muppet movie or the people in um great muppet caper the mickey charles groden right yep and it, it i mean this movie is very much like great muppet caper 
because there is like you know i mean it's muppets most wanted so there's this kind of like there's this crime element to it and there's a heist going on and stuff so were there uh, a lot of cameos in addition to the main actors yeah and i thought that the that the that the quality of the cameos was better this time around than the first yeah la- the the Muppets. Yeah, the Muppets. Um, one of the things I didn't like about it was like towards the end for like the, the telethon or whatever, when they got like all the celebrities in there, like I didn't know who some of them were, first of all. Yeah. I'm still not sure. I mm-hmm. think one, somebody told me one of them is like the kid from Modern Family. Right. <laughs> which I didn't watch at the time because it wasn't in reruns yet. But I was just like, they. Like, this get, is who you have? Get big stars. Yeah, and that's like, like one thing. Like, I like just... they had Selena Gomez. That's like a mm-hmm. younger actress, but I knew who she was. But like. I don't know. Like it's the fucking Muppets. You can get anybody to exactly. do that. Exactly. Yeah, and it's like like I said I just rewatched the Muppet movie. And one of the things that's awesome about that is like when you're a kid and you're watching it like you don't know who say Milton Berle is. Yeah. Or Bob Hope or Orson Welles. But as you grow up, like the movie grows up with you because like you'll, you know, you'll watch it in your teenage years after you've, you know, grown up a little bit and you're like Oh, holy shit, that's Richard Pryor. I didn't realize Richard, that was Richard Pryor. <laughs> and then you, you know, a few more years later, you're like, oh, no shit, that's that's Orson Welles. Like, that's awesome. That it's like, he, oh, like, that's that why guy, there's that know? awkward interlude when it shows the guy with the puppet, like Edgar Bergen and yeah, John McCarthy. Exactly, it's yeah. like, it's because... Because they're giving homage to this, you know. Yeah. And, like, I, what's weird is by the time... That was the last one I saw of the original movies. I was still, like, somewhere in elementary school. But, like, it was after... Jim Henson had died mm. and like I had read um, a couple like books about him like books geared towards children that but they were like biographies of him um, and they both mentioned like the influence of Edgar Bergen and stuff so like by the time that I saw the Muppet movie I'm like that's, oh, that's that him, guy yeah. and yeah. like yeah um, and so like that's what's awesome about like the Muppet movie like I can see even now today I, I like when I just watched it I'm like oh I didn't know Madeline Kahn was in this movie you know like there's still people that I'm like that have stood the test of time you know like these are every one of those cameos is a legend in their own right like yeah. Mel Brooks Steve Martin like they're like the top kind of Paul the, Williams yeah, Paul Williams <laughs> like th- those are like the kinds of cameos that like are deserving of the Muppets you know and then when you have like the the Muppets with the the Jason Siegel one um and you have like oh here's the kid from modern family or the guy from the big bang theory <laughs> or which that was before i'd ever watched big bang Theory. yeah like too. i didn't know who that was like i've seen happened. i think i've seen like almost every episode of it now mm-hmm. i'm not a huge fan of it it just it's always on <laughs> yeah um but like i going back i think i would have found that scene funnier but at the same time it did ha- it had mickey rooney yeah, early on. Yeah, because it was kind of like, like you know, well, we got to get like you know one of the old. Yeah, and like everybody crowd. loves Mickey Rooney. He's he was like one of the biggest stars ever. Yeah, I think he was the biggest star, um, like the number one box office guy in like thirty nine and forty, spanning two decades. There. Wow. Yeah. Simpsons made that joke. I stole it. <laughs> but. <laughs> um. But yeah, there. There. I won't spoil any of the any of the cameos in this movie. And I don't want to hype them, like, too much, but, like, they were more, I don't know, I feel like it's the kind of thing that, like, years from now, it'll be, they'll last a little longer, like, the the impact of, like, oh, that's that, this person, or, like, that that's this person. And they have a couple, like, really big stars 
um, like big contemporary stars. <laughs> stars that like maybe I'm not even necessarily like a fan of, but I'm like, wow, you I mean, know who they are. I'm like, that's like kind of that they're kind of like a big deal, you know. Um, now it's been a long time since I've seen Great Muppet Keeper. Um, Me too. That's you, the one that I've probably seen the least out of the out of the uh, out of all of them, actually. Do you remember who played the elderly couple, where they're like they're climbing the walls like outside of their apartment because Miss Piggy's pretending that she lives there, and that they're just sitting at dinner like oh yes, yes blah, blah, blah. like, and like that was like always like my favorite scene in that movie for no, some I reason. Don't remember. And I feel like they must have been famous people, hmm. <laughs> but. I don't know. Yeah, that's the thing is like you expect like any any real actor in a Muppet movie like should be some kind of a familiar face. Yeah. You know? And that's like when when Kayla was watching it and like and you get to the uh, the the big finale and they bust into the the Hollywood executive room and they're like we demand like uh, you know to uh, to audition and you don't see who it is behind the desk and then like it turns around <laughs> and it's Orson Welles and Kayla was like. Oh man! Like, how did they get Orson Welles? Like, how how did they like how did that happen? Like, honestly, um, at that point in time, I don't think it was that hard to get Orson Welles. But. Yeah, but but my, but my thing was just like, dude, everyone loves the Muppets. Like, yeah. you can you could probably literally ask anyone. If it doesn't matter like what kind of a star you are, if they're like, hey, you want to be on in the Muppet movie. Everyone wants to say yes because one, like a lot of the people have grown up with the Muppets, not necessarily like Orson Welles, but um, but two, like there's a magic there, and like you kind of want to be like a part of it. Like, wouldn't you want to see like Kermit like face to face in real life, or like see, you know, just like the the puppeteers <laughs> in action, you know, and get sort of a glimpse behind the behind the curtain there? And like even people, I mean, like who didn't grow up on it. Like from when it was first, like in like the set throughout the seventies, um, like the people doing it then clearly like they were already famous. They didn't grow up with it or anything, but everybody knew like this Jim Henson guy. He's got magic in him. Mm-hmm. Like this is amazing stuff he's doing, and we yeah. really admire the art of it. And I can see. I mean, Orson Welles, of course, would be like, yeah. wow, I want to be part of this. And that's like, actually when when Kayla mentioned that, like, um, she kind of looked online after the movie and was like, I want to know how they got Orson Welles. And I was just like, everyone loves the Muppets. And, but she actually saw like, there was actually a show that was never aired. It was a pilot called the Orson Welles show in which he was like, it was sort of like a late night type show where he was the host and he would have guests come on and and interview them. They only shot one episode of it and it never aired. But the the, fir- the very first guests that he had in that show were the Muppets. Awesome. And he did uh, interviews with separate interviews with like Kermit and Fozzie and Miss Piggy. And then second half of the show, he interviewed Jim Henson and Frank Oz. And I was like, that is fucking awesome. Like, I want to watch that. Like, I never knew that that existed. I got to track it down. So I went on on YouTube. and I'm like, there's got to be like a clip somewhere on YouTube. I couldn't find it. So... The only thing that I saw was like a 20 second clip preview clip that was like what would have been shown like at the very beginning of the show or something. And it was awesome because Orson Welles was like talking to the audience and you could see the studio audience and he's like talking to him and he's like got this like uh, sort of in the, in that sort of intimidating way that Orson Welles speaks and he's 
got this like sort of speech that he's giving and then at the end he goes get ready it's and then he turns to the camera and says the muppets and then the crowd <laughs> cheers and i'm just like i want to watch this thing <laughs> So is now is it like is the rest of it like lost or anything or is it I don't just know because I, I mean things I mean the, the problem with Orson being like a fan of Orson Welles is there's so many like pieces of things yeah, out there yeah. and like things that his stupid horrible daughter won't let us see uh, like the other side of the wind which mm. is done and it's out there she just won't let them finish editing it I don't uh, anyway. <laughs> But I mean, like they j- just a few months ago, they found too much Johnson. The film he did. Uh, it, did you hear about that? No. It's like all right. So his first, like officially, yes, his first feature film is Citizen Kane. In the early '30s, he did a short film. I think it's like six minutes long, called Hearts of Age, which is kind of ridiculous. It's kind of like him and his friends goofing around with the camera, and it's sort of like a spoof on like surrealist films. But then in between them, he did um, a play called Too Much Johnson. And, um, like, he didn't write it or anything. It had been around for a while, and he thought it was kind of, like, hokey and old-fashioned. And he was like, but hey, wait, let's try and experiment with this. Let's put all the exposition and nonsense that they talk about. Let's, like, make a movie and project it behind the actors at certain parts. So he made what amounts to basically a 40-minute film, silent, in 1940. And, like, it was never shown separate from the show, uh, it was like, and the show didn't last long. It was not. It did not go over very well. And it's like different. It's like a, s- a certain number of segments. There's like a big chase scene at the end where it had Joseph Cotton in it, mm, and nice. he's doing like a Harold Lloyd like climbing up the side of a building type thing or something like a slapstick bit. Wow. And um, they just found it recently, and it, they've been showing it around, and it should be like out on DVD or something soon. Uh, but it's That's so awesome. stuff still shows up. So, yeah, miracles yeah. happen. Yeah, you know. I yeah I would love to see the uh, the Orson Welles Muppet interview. I think that'd just be, be great. And that, I mean the Muppets for so long weren't even like geared towards kids. Also, I mean the the whole fir- the first season of SNL the Muppets were on almost every episode. Not the one, not the big ones, not Kermit or Fozzie or any like the characters, but like they were billed as the Muppets. But mm-hmm. it was I forget their names. They were these aliens that worship this like stone god, and they were right. like recurring characters. But yeah, and like um, they started. What, did they start on the Johnny Carson show? Right? With like I Rolf. Don't know. Like Rolf was like a. Oh, was that was recurring he recurring character? He was a recurring character on the Jimmy Dean show, I think. Oh, okay. Um, I remember seeing a clip where like Jimmy Dean was playing like a doctor or something, and he was like inflating Ralph's stomach. They showed it on some... Oh, it was like the 30th anniversary of the Muppets special. I taped it off TV when I was young. That probably mm. was like 89 or something, I guess. And they were showing clips in the early days. And there was like Something and Friends. Sam with, and Friends. Sam and Friends, where they had like the really like creepy early Kermit with yeah. like the curly yeah. hair. Yeah. And this guy, Yorick, which was just a head, mm. and he would like eat people. Yeah, and, I saw clips uh, um, from Sam and Friends at the uh there's a jim henson exhibit in orlando that at the orlando art museum is that the traveling exhibit or i think it was the traveling one yeah um and it came by for like a couple months and yeah they had clips from that and like some of um the 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 pilot to the muppets which was called sex and violence yeah and some of the commercials that he had done in the muppet style 
Because remember, there's like a big like dragon type thing with a tail knocking over stuff in a grocery store. Yeah. Like, yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, and what was cool is like they actually had a lot of those original puppets like from those commercials like still intact like you could see you know behind the glass. Wow. And those were just really really cool to see. I and hope they preserve them well. Yeah, I think at this point like a lot of that stuff is is being preserved. Yeah. Really All well. that's left of the original King Kong miniature is just the the like the frame, like the the joints and the, the armature. Part. Yeah, it's kind of it's creepy to look at. There's like there's bits of fur and like mm. chunks of rubber on it, and it's like it's kind of weird. Yeah, I wonder like what you what steps you would take to like preserve something like you know those, those original like Muppet some puppets, sort of airtight like, thing maybe it's gotta it's gotta be rough because I mean there's no way that those things can last forever hmm. but yeah I mean the exhibit was awesome like they didn't have like too many puppets but they had like um like a Gobo Fraggle puppet and like an Ernie and Bert and um but like man oh man just seeing them like in person it is chilling almost because they just like they look exactly the way that they do like in the shows or in the movies and stuff but they're right there in front of you and they look suddenly real and I mean they they have them kind of posed in like you know nice poses so they don't look lifeless so it's not like an open casket funeral because that's what I'm picturing like Like, oh they look so real but they're not like Ernie's just like hung up (laughs) <laughs> like you know God. just drooping over with his mouth slightly ajar no like they're kind of like they they kind of stuff them to make them like kind of feel a little more alive the thing that i never understood is like why not do a muppets broadway show like with with real puppets and puppeteers i don't think i i can't imagine that being like something that would really I feel like the puppeteers would be exhausted by like after having to do that like well, a couple they, shows a day for like several weeks. Wasn't there a Avenue Q? Was yeah, it, but I feel like that was just. Puppet? I mean, like the hand puppet ones where they have like a little stick to move the arm. But as far as like the more complicated Muppets, I feel like mm-hmm. they probably would have to leave those ones out. Although, isn't the Lion? Doesn't the Lion King use a yeah, lot Lion of? Yeah, Lion King uh, does all sorts of this stuff. I mean, okay. like, and what about like the friggin' Spider-Man show? Yeah, they had, you know... Yeah, because that went over so well. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, you know, you got to aim big here. Yeah. They can do it. That would be... If Jim Henson was still around and he could do... Like, that's another thing. Like, I wish they had done when he was around. Not... I mean, in recent years, we found out people can do the Muppets right, even without him. Mm-hmm. But I feel like he would have had this whole grand thing with like all these like new characters in addition to the and like yeah i don't know it's weird when there are new characters now like that um that pepe guy yeah right i don't when did he first show up i think he showed up in the muppets tonight which was a show that was basically like it was a television show that they tried to relaunch the muppets with in the 90s on disney channel well i thought it was on abc i thought it was like I remember when it was coming out and like wasn't ABC the one that was Jim Henson hour like this is after like Muppet Christmas Carol and stuff like they're having oh yeah oh, for yeah a while. yeah yeah it was like in the middle of the 90s maybe oh wait but Disney owns ABC so yeah. it could have been yeah. and then it just, it, and then it just it was, went to Disney Channel yeah so, probably yeah. it was called Muppets Tonight and the host it wasn't Kermit as a host it was a guy named Cliff he kind of had like dreadlocks 
the little like Jar Jar. Yeah. Things. He. Uh, it was kind of, and I don't remember the show that well. Cause I haven't seen it in a long time, but it was. It was. They didn't go so much for like the variety show, like the Muppet Show, but it was more like a late night type show where you had like your host and like a couch where like the guests would come out and they'd do like an interview type thing, and you'd be cutting behind the scenes, and there were all these other characters like Pepe. And like a the the big bear, there's a big bear, and a big elephant. Was it the bear from? Uh, Take Manhattan, I think. Okay. One of those guys. I don't remember an elephant. Yeah, the big elephant. He was like, <laughs> he was a, be- like he was, a new guy. He was a bellhop, actually. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we're getting there. We're getting we're getting closer. I'm smelling it now. <laughs> um. But yeah, I uh, I think Pepe came out of that. And I, you know, it, it, so it is weird seeing him, especially since like, not so much in these newer movies where he's just kind of like there in the background. Like I think he might have one line in, in uh, this new movie. And he was used really well in in the Muppets in the the Jason Segel movie. I don't even remember how he was used. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact joke. It was like Miss Piggy was doing a, uh, was planning a, a, a song. Or like a duet with her and Kermit, and like Kermit had to drop out, and she's like, you know, well now who am I gonna have to do it? And then all of a sudden the door swings open and Pepe's there, and he's like, don't worry, like Pepe's here. And then Piggy's like, get out of here, you know, and like kind of slams the door on him or something. And that's like his one line that he has in the awesome. movie. <laughs> it's like no one likes you. you yeah, get out, guy. get out of here. <laughs> who was the robot from the Jim Henson Hour? I don't know. Because I think he was only on that show. Hmm. I don't think I've seen him in anything else. And I feel like he was, like, one of the main guys on it. It's not the 80s robot from the new movie. No. Um, he was, like, he was like a humanoid. Um, android. Okay. <laughs> I guess is what you'd call that when you're talking about robots. Yeah. <laughs> one of those he was, like, a humanoid <laughs> robot of some kind. <laughs> Um, never seen anything quite like it. Similar to a crash test dummy, but not hmm. like he had yellowish skin at least, and like a shotgun. I don't really remember. Well, you were really. Have you seen episodes since they were on? Because that was a long time ago. I've seen like, not. I mean, not really. I've seen like the storyteller, and the. Um, I've seen like parts of Jim Henson Hour. Yeah, I. He was like always on, and like he would get. He was constantly getting electrocuted or something. He'd be like shocked and stuff, and be like all jittery mm-hmm. and like, oh, I don't know, I don't know. But um, I mean, yeah, I, I like the idea that you know, because one of the sentiments in, or one of the, uh, I don't know, one of the things that they that they always talk about in the Muppet movies is like you know, this family just keeps growing, mm. you know, and this family never has to end. To put it in the lyrics of the Emma Otter's Joe Band Christmas song. Well, it's like, I mean, that, uh, like, nursery rhyme thing that I actually just brought this up the other day when somebody was talking about, like, having to upgrade from, like, VHS to DVD and Blu-ray and stuff. I just said, you know, make new friends, but keep the old. One is silver and the other is gold. Hmm. So, so there. That, I, that's, I mean, that's my response. Yeah, to I like, and, you know, and, like, there are some characters that, like, without them being introduced new like never would have stuck like Rizzo the rat for instance like he was a newer character in like you know 
Love a Sick of Manhattan, and I think he made it into the show maybe towards the end. But you know, he's a great addition to the to the crew. Um, so you know, you got to try new things out. But I, and I like the idea that like the, the the Muppet group is gets bigger and bigger, you know. And like now in this new movie, they have you know Walter from the last one. Yeah, you know, I think it's cool. Watching this movie really made me think that bringing the Muppet show back on to TV like could work because even before I saw the movie like I we watched the Muppet movie and I was talking with Kayla about how like I don't know if the Muppet show could be successful on TV in this day and age because television has changed so much yeah I mean the Muppet show when it first came out was like on TV in prime time and it was a huge hit and they're doing, you know, all these sketches of just, like, singing, like, traditional songs with, like, goofy puppets, you know? And, uh... It, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, it, it I don't would know be, if that kind of thing so could different. work, you know? It wouldn't... TV, no, I'm tempted to say, like, people today don't have the patience. That's not true. TV doesn't have the patience to find out if people have patience. Right, yeah. Uh, TV is afraid mm-hmm. <laughs> to, like, take time with something. Like, there are scenes in the, Mupp- in the Muppet Show where it's, like, here's, like, a dance number. Yeah. And it's, like, like a, a little... A like a ballet. ballet. Yeah, yeah ballet like a, dance. A, With, like, they had a whole, puppets and stuff. They and had, like, like, a whole... Uh, like, some of the hosts that they got were, like, ballet dancers. Yeah, and uh, what was it? He came in dressed like Luke Skywalker. I don't remember the ballet dancer's name. Uh, Joel but... Gray, I think. No, um, it was somebody I didn't know. Because Joel Gray, is the, he's the guy from Cabaret, um, and Jennifer Gray's father. He did dance stuff, but I mean, like, there, okay. were, there was some guy who, like, the only reason he was famous enough to be... Was because he was like, a on any answer, TV. Right? Yeah. See, and it's uh, just like, you know, the, like, the, the, the late night shows today are just not like that at all. Yeah. I mean, it used to be... Well, there's no variety shows. There's no, really. they're, they're, yeah, for, like, because they're not variety shows. Variety yeah, shows just talk don't shows. exist. Like, yeah, talk shows exist. There's, like, SNL started out as a variety show and evolved into a sketch show. A sketch show, comedy show, yeah. Which is part of variety, but there's no variety because it's, there's a monologue, sketches, and there's, like, sometimes two, often just one musical number, mm-hmm. which is just not even a musical number. It's just somebody playing a song. Yeah. And, like, the late night shows, the talk shows, are just all fucking cookie cutter. Like, it's funny how, like, they, they just, um, like, Jimmy Fallon just went to the Tonight Show. And Seth Myers just went to the Late Night. Yeah. And I watched, like, some of the first episodes of both of those just to see, like, oh, I wonder how it is. And it's like, it doesn't even, it almost doesn't even matter who the fuck is hosting the show because it's just like, where they're going to come out, they're going to give their opening monologue that's, like, based on, you know, current events with, like, you know, these really kind of lame jokes that they threw together in, like, an hour that they had to prepare for the show. Then they're going to have a little banter with the uh, with the musician, the group, the band leader. Then we're going to go over the desk and have, like, some sort of a little, you know, uh, segment where, you know, whether it's, like, silly headlines or top ten things or whatever it is. Then we're going to have, like, our first guest come out. We're going to talk a little bit. We're going to advertise their product. We're going to advertise that's... their whatever movie they're hawking that week. And then uh, we'll have a band play, and that's that. One, one thing I like All about... exactly the same. One thing I like about Conan being on TBS now 
And it does pretty much follow that format. The yeah. monologue followed by some sort of sketch followed by two guests and a musical guest mm-hmm. or a stand-up. Um, but, like, part of his deal was he got to pick guests. Not They're not always selling something. Sometimes he's like, who's someone I kind of want to talk to? Mm. So, like, he had Dick Van Dyke on one time. And he had Mel Brooks on a couple of times. And, like, there was a whole episode... Right after Sid Caesar died, which I don't even know if we talked about that on the show. He died, like, the beginning of February, I think. No, I don't think so. And, you know, like, not a lot of people were talking about him. And he's like, he, that, all this TV comedy basically comes from him and your show of shows. And, like, the people who wrote for uh, Sid Caesar's show, uh, his writing staff was Mel Brooks, Carl Reiner, Woody Allen, uh, Neil Simon... Like these, like these, everybody who basically did comedy for the next few decades, mm-hmm. like they were all writing for that show, and that's they all got their start there. And there were more people I can't remember, but Conan had made some sort of comment about it, like in a monologue or something. And like Mel Brooks called him and was like, you know, I'm really glad that you know somebody understands where they came from and that you like talked about in your show. And then, like, a week later, he did a whole episode. He just had Mel Brooks on. The whole show, him and Mel Brooks talking about Sid Caesar and showing clips. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Because that just, like, doesn't happen yeah. <laughs> in on the major networks at yeah. all. Because, like you said, like, they're afraid of change. So much so that, like, when Jay Leno left The Tonight Show, they lasted, like, what, like, three months before they're like, we need to get Leno back on the air. And it's like, what the fuck is great about Leno? Like, it's just the same shit. Yeah. I don't know. But, like, I I feel like there are people who don't even know who Sid Caesar... But mostly because he didn't make very good movies. He was in It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, which has a pretty big fan base. Like, I don't think it's great. I enjoy that movie. Hmm. Um, But, like, he did a William Castle comedy called The Busy Body, which was odd. And he was... But he he had small parts in some Mel Brooks movies, like Silent Movie and History of the World Part 1. But for the most part, people don't know who he is. Oh, he was in Greece. He was the, he was the coach in Greece. Um, but, but yeah, it was cool that they brought attention to that. But and his show was a variety show because mm. they had music and they had guests and they had sketches and like. Yeah, I mean, it's just amazing how like. I mean, you look at like if you go to Wikipedia and just look at like, the list of episodes of the Muppet Show from all five seasons and just look at like the the list of hosts that they had it's like such a wide range of different kinds of people alice cooper and alice zero Co- mustel yeah. <laughs> were on the same um, not episode but same they said yeah. the same show it's and like, so. it's it's great i mean it makes you just like think about like all the possibilities they could have today with like you know they wouldn't, bringing they, cool people in they wouldn't do it right the, I think the one place you can find variety shows now is, like, certain shows that come on Adult Swim from time to time. But they're done... It's all irony. Mm-hmm. You can't just have... And, like, so what, what I hate about so many shows on Adult Swim is it's just... It's trying too hard... To be like, to be like oh, oh, look, we're so random. Or, like, we're so, like, weird just for the sake of being weird. Yeah. Yeah. And even shows that, like, I like on Adult Swim tend to kind of just, like, find that one little thing. And, like, at first it's really funny. But then they just kind of, like, 
stay on that same joke over and over and over again. I liked the there was one time that we were over at the Phelps house and we were all watching uh, like some episodes from the first season of Tim and Eric. And it was mm-hmm. like, oh, this is cool. And it's like, why is it still on? I don't get maybe I just don't get the joke. It's like, oh, cool. John C. Riley is playing a crazy doctor. He's still doing it, but that is the joke. I don't I don't get it. Yeah, I mean, Tim I and got Eric, it like, when it started. And then I don't know why the, that's still going. I think like it's the, over. The, the Tim and Eric show is really, really funny. Still? Well, I think the Tim and Eric show is done, but there's the Steve, there's John Tiro has his own show now. The Steve, oh, that's the a Steve, spit. Okay. The, check it out with Steve Brule. Yeah. I don't like it at all. <laughs> I just assume, like I would see ads for that. I would just assume that it was Tim and Eric and they were advertising mm. that one sketch. And it's mm. just like, cause I, I used to love John C. Riley, but it's just like, I mean, I think stop his, stop doing his, that. I think his Brule character is awesome, but I just think like it's, it, they, like when you watch like all through all of like the Tim and Eric show, like the first couple seasons are really great because all the sketches aren't quite the same. Like they they have different kinds of things that are funny about them, but then they kind of just keep doing the same joke over and over again. Mm-hmm. Like for instance, and it's something that is carried over into like the new Steve Brule stuff. And I haven't seen like the newer seasons of it, but like um you know, one of the earlier jokes is like, you know, an interview kind of set up and the host would be like, I'm here with, you know, Johnny McFlasker Bean. And he mispronounces his name or whatever it is, you know. And so they'll put up on the bottom, his lower third, like the misspelled, you know, the spell it out, like whatever, like the mispronunciation was. And like, that's funny the first time, but like they did that joke so many times yeah. that it's just like it's not even a joke anymore it's just like that's it's just the routine so i mean i don't know there's there's and i mean you see it with like all the other sh- like adult swim shows like um you know uh aqua scene hunger force and sea lab they all just kind of like just did the same thing I liked Space Ghost. Yeah, Space Ghost Coast to Which Coast they, was great. Which they just brought back like fairly recently. Really? It might have been back for a while, but I my sleep schedule got off again. So now that I'm up between 5 and 6 a.m., I've been watching Space Ghost. Like, do they, they brought it back like they're making new episodes? No, or no. They brought, they're it's, rerunning it's, the old episodes? It's the old ones. Still, those are, those are great. Yeah. And those are kind of like a variety show, almost. Yeah. Because they're like... They've got, they've got the guests, but they've also got stuff but there's no there's like a lot of variety shows that had so many like big music things and mm-hmm. they're expensive i think is part of it yeah because you, you have to have... like build like a whole new set for like not just an episode but like from sketch to sketch yeah and um and especially when you got puppets and all kinds of weird stuff did you ever watch the brady bunch variety sh- variety hour no was... but i've seen the <laughs> Lawrence henderson episode of the muppet show <laughs> It was it was interesting. I actually, there was like a certain kind of variety show in the fifties, like the Jack Benny show is an example of it. I don't know if there were later versions of like this like template. It would be like, all right, so Jack Benny is just like hanging out in his house, and somebody comes over and is like, oh, 
Johnny Ray's coming over later, like the the singer from the fifties. Um, and it's like, um, cool. Maybe he'll stop by and uh, sing a song or something. And he would come over, and he's Johnny Ray playing Johnny Ray, mm. and he would sit at the piano and do a, a couple songs, and then some other guy would just happen to stop by, and it's like sort of like a variety show, but it's just like this guy's living room, and he, but he's like playing a version of himself. And I actually, there was one point where Nolan and I were trying to come up with some sort of TV8 show where it's just like, we make a set and it's just like, I'm hanging out at my house and my friend Nolan, or with my friend Nolan and my butler, Nate. <laughs> and um, like Nate's like, oh, there was a telephone call. William Hale would be stopping over later. And I'm like, William Hale, maybe they'll play some songs. And Nolan's like, oh, I hear they like to eat any like some sort of meal. And then we would have like some chef on to prepare the meal, and then mm. it would end with like a couple of William Hale songs, which I still kind of want to do. <laughs> but like, I, don't I mean, know. That those shows aren't out there. Makes sense because like you just build like that one set, you know, like you like. In the case of this, it would be like you know the, I don't know, like a living room with a big area in the back where a right. band would play. <laughs> or like in the Muppet Show, it was like the backstage area. Yeah. Or like that was like their standing set. They could shoot there for all the in between stuff and like and Where do that. Poor Scooter just runs around trying to put the show together. together. Yeah. <laughs> the unsung hero of the Muppet Show. Yeah, like I was thinking about that um, after seeing this movie and just like you know, because inevitably when you talk about the Muppets, like people will ask, like, oh, who's your favorite Muppet? Is Scooter ever the answer? <laughs> to that question <laughs> I don't know like, I, I, I don't know if I can think of anybody who is he your favorite no oh. <laughs> but yeah I mean I don't know but he's like it it would feel like like if there was a Muppet movie without Scooter it would be like kind of weird people would get pissed people would take to the streets like Scooter's not in this movie he's not the Muppets but like I don't know if I have a favorite now. When I was when I was a kid, it was definitely Gonzo. Yeah, but I don't know about now. When I was a kid, my favorite was Rolf the dog, and I don't know why, but like I kind of just like I just I picked him <laughs> for some reason, um, and as I grew up and I kind of watched some of the old Muppet show, more of the Muppet show. Cause when I was a kid, I didn't really see the Muppet show that yeah. much. Cause it was never really on TV. Yeah. I don't remember ever seeing it on TV. I would see clips from it. I mostly yeah. watched Muppet babies when I was, yeah, little, it was Muppet babies yeah. and the movies um, and the movies. And like Ralph isn't really necessarily like a big part of like the movies much, but you know, something about him. I, I liked he and was then, the first star, and yeah. And then, <laughs> as I as I grew up and sort of learned more about the Muppets, saw some of the Muppets show, like I find out, like, oh, he's actually like you know before there was like Kermit, like he was like the first character that, or one of the first characters that Jim Henson made. And then I see like some of his segments on the Muppet Show, and they're awesome. Like when you're watching through the episodes, like whenever there's a Ralph segment where he's just playing the piano. Those are some of the some of the best ones, I think. So yeah, I really like Rolf. Um, I really like Sam the Eagle, just because he's. Oh, maybe he's. 
He's my sister's favorite. Oh yeah, he, no, I think he, he's I, always been my sister's favorite. Yeah, he's he's definitely one of my favorites because he's because <laughs> he's awesome. Yeah, he's just because <laughs> he's another one. Like every time he shows up, you're just like yeah, because he's he's one of the more underutilized ones, which is actually I think works in his favor yeah. because he's it's that like what, what sucks about Kermit is because he became like the figurehead sort of mm-hmm. like he was the face of the Muppets that he almost became like he didn't mean as much as he should have because you just saw you saw his face everywhere outside of the show yeah but like sam the eagle they, they saved him yeah and and he's just a cool puppet too because his head rotates in a cool way um kind of like uh kind of like beaker's head mm. is able to rotate like his head kind of has like that rotation and he has like his eyes are the most unique out of out of all of the uh of the main muppet characters because they're actually like full spheres and I, he can blink and but he can rotate his eyes back and forth and a lot of the muppets can't do that i don't know if it, i can't think of any other ones that actually can rotate the eyes in like independently from the puppet head now that i'm picturing him in relation to beaker do their mouths open the same way yeah kind of like, like drawbridge down, yeah the drawbridge style yeah, yeah the drop down kind of thing I like, the great thing about sam eagle is that he, it's like he's like basil faulty because he's like so, yeah, pretend- but exactly. he's always the butt of the joke. Because right. it's like he's just so pretentious that. Uh. <laughs> yeah, he's always great whenever he shows up. Um, and he in in Muppets Most Wanted, he's actually got a pretty substantial role. Um, he has his own musical number. Oh, maybe well he kind of shares it with um, Ty Burrell. Ty Burrell, <laughs> but it's still cool because it's like all right, yeah, giving Sam the Eagle a little little play. I really want to see that movie now. <laughs> uh, Statler and Waldorf, also, I should say, they're up there. Yeah, they're I like pretty great. The Muppet Dicks, like the just the yeah, assholes. yeah. They... <laughs> <laughs> Fozzie is is great too. I mean, they're all great. Yeah, it's hard. To, you can't. It's hard to pick a favorite because it's like, you know. I just. Uh, I wish I knew what happened to Skeeter. Yeah, I actually was thinking about that. Like, if I was to make, like, a Muppet movie, I would bring Skeeter into the mix. That should be the even plot. Just, even just as, like, a cameo, you know? See, I would say that the next one would be, like, Scooter looking for his long-lost sister. Like, he's a strange See, sister. but the problem is, like, whose favorite character is Skeeter? Like, you know, they made a whole movie about Gonzo, you know, Muppets from Space, because he's a popular character. They made a whole movie about Walter, though, who is a completely unknown new Muppet. That's like, true. This is, like, that would be... It's the MacGuffin. It's not what the movie's about. Right. It's like... It's Kermit helping his friend Scooter right, find right. his estranged sister. And then in the end, they're like, oh, she did just grow up to be Janice. She's been here the whole time. For no. sure. That's wow. what, when, I, when I was little, I was just <laughs> like, did Skeeter grow up to be Janice? And I think at one point, like, maybe my mom said, yeah. So wow. I just... <laughs> I never heard that theory before. <laughs> That's what I always thought, because they were the same, like, color and everything. <laughs> <laughs> That's racist, Tim. <laughs> uh, yeah. All orange Muppets don't look alike. <laughs> I took one of those um, stupid Facebook quizzes once, like, which Muppet are you? I got Janice. I have no idea. <laughs> like, I don't know why that was even an answer. Like, I don't know how many answers there were, like, how many yeah, Muppets they chose to, but <laughs> I don't think I am at all. 
No, not not at all. It was. Did you watch the um, the robot chicken with the? Um, they did like a. There was that VH1 show like Where Are They Now, and they did like a fake episode of that for Robot Chicken, like Where Are They Now, Electric Mayhem. Oh yeah. Janice didn't farewell. She was. She wasn't dead, but she was like dying. Mm. She, and like. Uh, Animal was dead. <laughs> Anyway, he partied a little too hard. Yeah, he was the Keith Moon of the. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure he might have been the inspiration for Animal. Like when I found out who Keith Moon was, I was mm. like, I wonder if that's why uh, Animal was the crazy ass drummer. But all drummers are crazy. So. You're a pretty. You're a wild guy. Oh yeah, I'm totally wild. You, Keith Moon, John Bonham. Yeah. But anyway, go see the Muppets Most Wanted. You won't regret it. Is Errol Flynn the inspiration for the Tasmanian Devil? Because he's from Tasmania. And they were both at Warner Brothers. Well, I mean, Tasmanian Devil wasn't at Warner Brothers. But uh, <laughs> they had him under contract. Yeah. <laughs> and like they would often do like kind of spoofs of like Warner Brothers people like I mean, Bugs Bunny kind of grew out of like a mixture of like bogey and Cagney and stuff, and I, don't know. I yeah, I don't know. I never would really think about Errol Flynn as. I mean, not relating. in his actions, but in the sense that he was all like devilish, and he was kind of like a wild man. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to ask Brendan Fraser, who I think now just plays Tasmanian Devil. Does he really? I don't know he about regular. He did it. In Looney Tunes Back in Action, he did the voice of Tasmanian Devil, but he was in the movie anyway. But there was also some special or something that Brendan Fraser wasn't in otherwise, but he did the voice of Tasmanian Devil for it. Hmm. He's good at it. I've I've seen... Yeah, like I've seen like footage of him doing it. It's upsetting to watch, but it does, it sounds accurate. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, (laughs) and it's the same thing with like the, the, the Muppets too. As it is with like the uh, the Looney Tunes characters, the Looney Tunes almost all of those voices were done by one guy. Yeah, Mel, Mel Blank. Mel Blank. And now that he, like he's gone, you have to like hire who like Brendan Fraser. <laughs> a whole hand, you know, like every character has to be voiced by somebody else, like somebody individually. Does you know Billy I mean? West do any of them? He does like so many characters now for um, things. Porky Pig. Billy West does Porky Pig? Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, like the Muppets, like there are still a handful of original Muppet performers. Like Dave Golez is one who he does Gonzo. And he's always done Gonzo from the very beginning till now. Um, is Jerry Nelson still? Jerry still? Nelson died. He couple, did. Oh, okay. It's a couple years ago. Last Was it last year? Oh. Two years ago? Um, like Frank Oz doesn't do it anymore, no. right? He's too busy doing whatever the hell he's doing (laughs) i mean i I can understand like you know you spend basically your entire life doing it especially like with with your friends who aren't there anymore yeah yeah you would kind of just be like i'm done with it man like i i did it you know i spent my whole life doing it but i have to just like stop at some point you know and he had a whole other career directing films, you know. Yeah. 
I, but I mean, I would like like before it's too late. It would be awesome to see him come back and do some kind of a Muppet thing, or just even just some appearance on a talk show or something. Just come out with Miss Piggy and sing Never Before. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, never and, and never again. You know, and that's yeah. like his last thing. But I mean, if you're gonna have him do like you know Miss Piggy, like you gotta have him do Fozzie. Yeah. You can't just pick just the one. And now, I mean, the Star Wars movies are all going to be sequels, no more prequels, so mm-hmm. I'm assuming he won't be involved in those. So there's another character. It that, depends. Uh, I mean, Yoda, you know, he's a Force ghost. You know, you know, he, force could, ghosts. he could pop up as a, as <laughs> a little is, Force ghost. true. I wonder if they'll explore more how... Uh, like they say, how Leia ha- Leia sort of has the Force or something, don't they? But they never really talk about it. Maybe the ghosts will hang out with her, or they'll just put as little Leia as possible in the movie because they want to appeal to people who don't like Star Wars, which seems to be what they like to do. Um, well, I mean, if they take a cue from the any of the myriad of books that have been written about what happens after Return of the Jedi, then. Um, I mean, in those books, Luke trains Leia. In but the also, they Force. don't they mostly? I know the ones, the one series that I read, they take place like in the few years after. Like mm-hmm. this is this takes place thirty years. after. We're talking about older actors here. Yeah. Like I don't know if Carrie Fisher is going to do any Jedi training. No, 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 yeah. no. Like if they're going to do it, like and presumably they'll have children. Um. Jedi children. And it'll, a whole it'll new be, generation of it, stupid characters we don't really care about. Well, not I necessarily. I want to find out more about Luke and Leia and Han and stuff. I don't. I don't know. Like you said, I mean, this, they're thirty years older. I mean, there's not much more that you can do with with them. Well, that seems like the typical Hollywood attitude. There are a lot of like great movies out there just about people getting old and dealing with shit. But in space, I mean, <laughs> like Han, Han's I mean, is, driving the like the Millennium Falcon is like still running somehow, but it's like putting along, and people are like, oh, "You really shouldn't be driving at this age." And he's just like, "I'm fine." <laughs> he's like crashing into. Th- I don't know. Like, there's stuff to deal with. And what does we don't know, need to have Leia's whatever, retirement plan look like? Whatever the latest like teenage star, just like throw them in there to try and bring in the young audience. But it's not so much that. I mean, like, the, the nature of the Star Wars story kind of dictates that you go on to the next generation because it's like you have the, the prequel trilogy, which is, like, Anakin Skywalker, the original trilogy, which is his son Luke Skywalker, and then a new trilogy, which is presumably Luke Skywalker's son, you know? you got to continue the, the Skywalker line. And, I mean, the the stories that have been written, like, I've I've read, you know... Yeah, no, Some of them. I, I see your shelf there. <laughs> I've got a whole shelf full of Star Wars books here. Um, some of those stories are really great. What's um, their kid's name? Or do they have a couple kids? There there are a total of four children that are offsprings between Luke, Leia, and Han. Not all together. Ew. <laughs> <laughs> um, Who does Luke get with? Luke um, winds up with a woman. Wookie? Oh. No. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, no, he winds up with a woman called 
uh, Mara Jade. She was a sort of like um, somewhat of an apprentice to Darth Vader. Is like she a, in the movies at all? She's not in the movies. Oh. Like it's sort of, like the premise is sort of like while the movies are going on, like she was this sort of like agent of Darth Vader that would mm-hmm. go and do things for him, and she was sort of on in the dark side of the Force. And then after Return of the Jedi, like she's kind of like you know is somewhat directionless, and she starts off as like like a villain, and uh, but Luke is able to bring her back to the the light side of the Force. And they wind up hooking up. And they have a son called Ben Skywalker. Makes sense. Um, Leia and Han were the first to have children. They had a pair of twins um, to kind of mirror, you know, the Luke and Leia twin thing. Um, Their names are Jason and Jaina. Solo. Jason's not a space name. (laughs) But it's spelled (laughs) J-A-C-E-N. Oh, okay. Well, then. I'll allow it. <laughs> but Luke's not a space name. It is because of Star Wars. So why can't Jason be? Because it's not in Star Wars. <laughs> but it is. It just doesn't, like, looking, I don't know, like, Luke is acceptable and Ben is acceptable and Owen is acceptable, but, like, it's, I don't know. <sighs> you need names like Wedge and Biggs. What about Han? What about Han? Han's great. That's not a cool name? No, I think they're all cool names. Oh, okay. And it's a suitable space name. <laughs> um, but yeah, then uh, Leia and Han had another son, Anakin. Anakin Solo. That's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> like a, we forgive you, Dad type. Yeah. Thing. And it's also cool because it's like it's Leia's son, which you don't really think about like Leia... They you don't, don't really deal think, with her much. In yeah, the they movie, don't deal with her as, like, as her like her accepting the fact that Darth Vader was her father. You know, the guy that in A New Hope was the one who like blew up her home planet and like interrogated her in their room and tortured her and stuff. Like, yeah, that was your dad. So yeah, she names her her, her one of her sons Anakin. Jason and Jaina were introduced way back in 1991. So I mean, like these are characters who have been around for like over 20 years at this point. So chances are they will be in the... Uh... And they've had, like, books and books upon books upon books written about them, charting, you know, their <laughs> conception and the whole pregnancy and then, like, the the time when they were, like, you know, toddlers and then they go, you know, then Luke creates a new Jedi Academy and they're, like, the first, you know, students at the Academy. And uh, so, like, Luke trains them and then they grow up and, like, most recently... Jason fell to the dark side and had a whole big duel with, with Jaina. And I think I, I didn't actually read the, that whole story, but I read about it. Cause I mean, there are so there are way, way too many star Wars books to keep up on it. So every once in a while I'll like look online and be like, what's happening in the world of the, the star Wars universe, you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's like news flash, news flash. Jason falls to the dark side. <laughs> Jaina has a big lightsaber battle and kills him. We're, so. ha- we're hanging out somewhere. Your phone starts vibrating. You take it out. Like holy shit! <laughs> they should have <laughs> Star Wars ex- expanded universe like news alerts. Yeah, because there's enough of it out there that it is kind of just like you know, like this shit's <laughs> happening, and you're like, oh my god! I'm like what? What is it? 
so many people want that job to be the guy who like decides like, like Luke Skywalker just had another child. <laughs> it's a girl. <laughs> All right. Well, now that I've uh, sufficiently proved the depths of my geekdom, I suppose we should get to the movie of the evening. Four rooms. Four rooms. This was Max's pick. I'd never seen it before. Thanks, Max. Oh, you're very welcome. Yeah, I, I, I chose this movie partly because I knew that Tim hadn't seen it, and partly because you just had read a book about, or you're in the middle of reading a book. Yeah, uh, Down and Dirty Pictures by Peter Biskind, the guy who wrote Easy Riders, Raging Bulls. Mm. It's so, like, and that was about, like, you know, the new Hollywood, like, 60s and 70s Hollywood and stuff, and this is about uh, the independent film scene from like the late 80s to early 2000s focusing on Miramax and Sundance and there's a whole chapter about Four Rooms or a good part of a chapter yeah and how it started out as sort of like the Sundance class of 92 as they were known at the time getting together but then Rodriguez was thrown in and he wasn't there at 92 so Mm. But it was it was still like ooh the indie darlings like right. the the four people who like had had like very well respected films, but uh, one problem was Miramax was in love with Tarantino, and there was resentment between the filmmakers. It started out as like friends getting together and like hey let's all make a movie together. Mm. By the end of it, people weren't necessarily speaking to Tarantino. Ah, things were still cool with him and Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> Obviously. Who, like, was sort of separate from it, but Alexander Rockwell, Alison Anders, and Quentin Tarantino had sort of, like, come up together, sort of, to a degree. Like, Alison Anders was already sort of known before Tarantino, and they were, like, an item very briefly. But, like, after Reservoir Dogs, like, even before Pulp Fiction, after Reservoir Dogs, he, his ego started to grow a little bit, and she couldn't deal with him even as a friend to some extent. Like... Mm. But yeah, so they noticed, you know, Tarantino, he had the big set and the other ones were like, okay, here's your stage over here. You have to shoot on. And they're like, well, we don't even know if we can fit our people in here. And they're like, well, you know, we need space for other things. And it's like the other thing is Tarantino's set. Uh, He had like the biggest stage that they had or something. Mm. And um, they kept trying to make cuts in the other store and like you kind of like as i was watching it the first time i kind of saw like i feel like there probably was more to the first couple stories that got cut out yeah especially the first one is definitely missing something yeah and they kept cutting them down and they're like well you know we need to turn tarantino's one it's gonna be the big climax you know we gotta you know have that's gotta it's gonna be longer and it's like fuck you no you just he's the star and you want to kiss his ass that's how they were viewing it and you know after four rooms Alison Anders didn't do a ton. Alexander Rockwell didn't do a ton. Robert Rodriguez continued making films with children. Yeah. And Tarantino kept get Well, I mean, you know, like some people might call it Jackie Brown, kind of like a speed bump sort of thing, but it was still, it's a great movie. Uh, but success wise, yeah, it was still just a few years away. He, you know, killed Bill and everything. Bill. And then ever since then, he's just been king of the world. Yeah. So yeah, this movie, by its nature, it's four separate stories. <clears throat> Which written, is tough. Written and directed by four different people. 
and you're trying to like have them coalesce in a way that works. The question is, does this work? Well, let's see what it has to say on the back of the DVD. <laughs> on the back of the DVD. On the back of the okay. DVD. Don't miss the fun in this hilariously sexy comedy that has Antonio Banderas, the Mask of Zorro, Madonna, Evita, and a sizzling all-star cast checking in for laughs. It's Ted the Bellhops, Tim Roth, Pulp Fiction, first night on the job, and the hotel's very unusual guests are about to place him in some outrageous predicaments. It seems that this evening's room service is serving up one unbelievable happening after another. Also featuring Academy Award winner Marissa Tomei. (laughs) (laughs) Best Supporting Actress, My Cousin Vinny. Four Rooms is a wild night of highly original comedy entertainment you'll enjoy without reservations. Roger Ebert says, Antonio Banderas is hilarious. <laughs> That's the quote that they I'm use. curious about the context of that one sentence. I know. I, I, re- I read that and I'm like, Antonio Banderas is hilarious. Roger Ebert. I'm like, I, I'm really curious to read his review because... <laughs> I don't know. Like, it's, it's such a weird thing to take out of it because, like, Antonio Banderas wasn't, like, particularly funny. At, one of my favorite parts was the end of that sketch where he comes back mm-hmm. and his reaction was funny. But, yeah. For but it's the not most like, part, you know, you watch the whole movie and you're like, oh, Antonio Banderas was hilarious. Yeah, I should just say that the first paragraph of Ebert's review of Four Rooms, which he gave it two stars. And he says, um, this anthology film with four stories set in a fading hotel and one character in common is a mixed bag with one hilarious segment, one passable, and two that don't work at all. <laughs> yeah. They, they make it seem like, well, Roger Ebert must have loved Four Rooms because they use his quote on the back. Yeah. yeah. That must be really frustrating for critics who like find their quotes like on movies that are just like, what? Like, no, I, I didn't mean it that way. I'm looking for the sentence. Okay, so the best of the four films is The Misbehaviors, the Rodriguez one. And it says, Banderas is hilarious in a parody of his usual macho stud role. I like the way he kicks the elevator button and folds his wife into his arms in the same smooth motion. That was nice. That was a nice little moment. Yeah. But it's funny because, you know, they take liberties with the... Uh... With the quotes, because on the back of the DVD, it says, Antonio Banderas is hilarious, exclamation point. That's the quote. As if to say, like... That's the end of the sentence, which is not... As if to say, that was, like, the the whole sentence, like, Antonio Banderas is hilarious. And it didn't... That says Antonio? Is Antonio in brackets or anything, or parentheses? This just says Banderas. just says Antonio Banderas is hilarious. I mean, that is what they meant, so... I don't know. Uh, It's... I, I feel bad for the person who reads that and goes in, like, oh, cool, Marissa Tomei. Yeah, right. <laughs> and she's got the one scene, which she's really funny in. I feel bad for anyone going in thinking like, oh, wow, you know, like Robert Rodriguez and Quentin Tarantino. It's kind of like Grindhouse, you know, with this, like they're splitting the, the movie in half and they're doing the thing. And you've got these other two directors in there. Like, it's Quentin Tarantino. He hasn't he doesn't make bad movies. Like, this has got to be great. Well, I mean, it seemed like going in, I was expecting something more like plaza suite or california suite 
like those Neil Simon comedies from the seventies that um it's like split into several segments with different characters in a hotel. Which I'm not a huge fan of those movies. Anyway. Uh, although Plaza Suite is cool because Walter Matthau plays a different character in all three segments. But also like a movie that it's it's probably not a good movie, but it's one of those I watched it so many times when I was little. I had a tape with Freaked and Blame It on the Bellboy on it. And I watched that tape so many times growing up. And that when I think of Bellboy movies, mm. I either think of The Bellboy, the Jerry Lewis movie they actually talk about in that movie, or Blame It on the Bellboy with Bronson Pinchot, like dealing with all these like farcical mishaps. Mm. And I think that's a better movie than this. And it has a horrible reputation, but like... <laughs> But also, like, what what anthology film can you think of where there are different directors where you watch it and you're like, that was completely satisfactory? Not Twilight Zone the movie, not Trapped Ashes, and there's not a lot of them. What um, about like um the uh, like the the New York I Love You and Paris I Love You? I haven't seen those actually. I've seen one of those. I can't remember which one it was. I have the Paris one. Uh, Parisia Tem. But aren't those also like short, like really short segments, sort of? Because there's like a lot of directors. Yeah, it's there's like, a, like. It's only like a two hour movie or something. Yeah, there's like a whole like 10 directors or something like that. And those are mostly like kind of separate mm. things. I mean, th- like this attempts to try to like string it all together. And they're like, this one night just can't get any worse. And the, I mean, there were like films like in, in the sixties, uh, like um, uh, Rogo Page, which was like the first letters of it was. Oh, who was it? It was Rossellini, Godard, Pasolini, and another director whose name started with G <laughs> and ended with Ini. <laughs> but they all they made short films and they all put them together and there was um oh what is it uh spirits of the dead which federico fellini and um roger vadim and somebody else they and they all did like short films based loosely on poe stories Mm. and now i haven't seen those movies and i've based on reviews it sounds like no one likes all of them and a lot of people, like, they really love one, and one's like, oh, that's the bad one, and then the next reviewer will be like, that's the good one. The other right, one, that's right, the right. bad one, and, like, stuff like that. Like, But, like, it, it was it was a daunting task to take on in the first place, to be like, we're going to make this film with four different stories. And mm-hmm. it's weird how Tarantino's is the only one that has the character from another story, like, in it. Like well, in yeah, Rodriguez, yeah. there's the voice right. of the guy. There's a little bit of a crossover there. But he actually had like the actresses physically there, mm. and like I feel like he he got to do a lot more than the other ones were allowed to, and and that was but that was kind of odd because it was kind of like he has that character there, but like for what purpose really? Because he could, and he wanted them to know. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. You're like, hey, you guys are making your little films. I'm making my big little film over here, and I'm gonna take your actress and do this. Like, I don't. Mm-hmm. And based on stuff I've read about him in that era in the book, like, 
his story, it seems like it's based on a night he might have had at that point. Yeah. Because he yeah. was just all I mean, into like he's I'm fucking famous. Fuck you, friends. Yeah. I don't know you anymore. I'm gonna take a bunch of hookers and some cocaine and go to a hotel and blah, like he was not somebody I'd want to be around at that point. And I the impression I get based on interviews and things is that he's mellowed over the years. And but I mean that, that as, soon, <laughs> as soon as like his segment starts and I mean he's <clears throat> he's acting in his own thing. Yeah. He's playing like essentially the main character of I mean he carries that whole he's scene. man from Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, the man from Hollywood. And as soon as he starts talking you're like he's just playing himself, isn't he? As soon as he starts talking about Jerry Lewis and the Bellboy. Yeah, and he's and he's talking directly to the camera essentially. Yeah. Just like removing everybody else like the like he's the only person on screen and he's just talking directly to you and he's writing this this thing about yeah these movies that he loves and you're just like he is just playing himself i should point out that when he it is accurate for him to say that jerry lewis's performance as the bellboy in the bellboy it is a completely silent performance but jerry lewis does speak in the bellboy as and I think this also like in in the bellboy there's a scene where like all the bellboy like have you ever seen the bellboy no it's take it's the first film Jerry Lewis ever directed Cinderella had been shot uh, Frank Tashlin directed it who's thanked at the end of the credits in four rooms oddly enough mm. um, and they were gonna the studio Paramount wanted to like put it out in the summer. And Jerry Lewis was, this is before the summer was the time for the big movies. And he was like, no, no, this is a Christmas movie. It's going to be a big movie. Don't put it out in the summer. That's where you dump movies. So they were like, well, we don't have a Jerry Lewis movie for this summer. So he was like, all right, give me a minute. And he basically went to this hotel in Florida where he was like doing a show. And when he wasn't doing a show, he would just shoot. And he just made, he threw something together in a few weeks and it's just like all these like semi-related bits with him playing this bellboy who never speaks. Mm. Um, but there's like this one scene where um, all the bellboys are getting excited and it's like, what's going on? What's going on? And it's like, oh, we're getting a star. Who is it? And Jerry Lewis, as Jerry Lewis, gets out of a limo. Ah. And he's it's like he's nonstop talking like Quentin Tarantino as, quote, Quentin Tarantino right. in The Man from Hollywood. And, like, so I'm pretty sure that's why, like, in addition to just, oh, there's a bellboy character, like, Quentin Tarantino wanted to be like, hey, I'm playing myself, like, Jerry Lewis played himself in The Bellboy. Mm-hmm. Like, um, and he's a dick. Like, Jerry Lewis as Jerry Lewis is just, like, this horrible person. And uh, it's it's amusing. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously there's no coincidence about <laughs> those, about that sort of thing. In I, relation to this movie. I forgot the name of the Alfred Hitchcock episode that Peter Lorre was in until... The, the like, Man from Rio. Yeah. I, like, I remembered it once they started talking about it. Well, basically, once they put the wood down, I got what they were going to do. But, like, when they're like, oh, three nails, because that's how many Peter Lorre used. I'm, like, racking my brain, like, what movie did Peter Lorre have three nails in? Right. I was thinking it was, like, The Beast with Five Hands, where he has to, like, chop off his own hand or something. But Or not... Five Fingers. The Beast with Five Fingers, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but yeah. And that, I loved how I usually don't notice if there's a really long take, 
Like sometimes if it goes on for really long, I'll be like, wait a minute, when was the last cut? Yeah. I didn't realize that the first shot in Gravity was like 15 minutes or whatever mm-hmm. until like people mentioned it later because there was so much going on yeah. and the way it was moving. Yeah. But I actually noticed the really long take in The Man from Hollywood because when he puts the donut in his mouth, mm-hmm. for some reason in my head, I'm like, oh, I bet there's going to be a cut so he can spit that out because that would suck if he had to ha- eat a whole donut every take. And then it just kept going. And I was like... And he's just chewing it. I'm like, he ate a donut. He must have eaten like 50 donuts that day, depending on how many takes. And like, it goes on forever and it moves all over the room. Mm. And like, it does. it's not until they like cut to like the magazine cover, I think. Right, yeah. And it's the way it, the way it was cut. It almost seemed like the only reason they did cut away was because somebody might have messed up yeah. and they didn't want to deal it with the whole like, thing over it again. It seemed like the, that whole segment was almost one whole shot, in a way. Like it was sort of designed that yeah. way. And they, even the shot reverse shot with right. him and Tim Roth, the can they don't cut. The camera moves back and forth, yeah. like turns one hundred eighty degrees. Um, so it seems like the kind of thing where it's like. Yeah, they shot a bunch of like little insert stuff so that they could cut when they needed yeah. to and stitch it all together. But they tried their best to kind of make it all one take in a way. And like also the, the stuff I was saying about like, oh, Miramax loved Tarantino and they were kind of screwing the other people. Tarantino had earned it. I will say that Miramax knew what they had with Tarantino. He was the golden boy at that point in time. And like, why wouldn't they give him whatever he wanted? <laughs> They were not known for giving filmmakers things that they wanted. Like, the people, like, in, like, the next chapter in that book I'm reading, it's, like, The English Patient, which won, like, 10 Oscars or something, and, like, it made all this money. The people who had deferred their salaries, like, the big stars, just to make that low-budget movie, uh, they're still waiting for that money. Mm. And that was 1996. (laughs) I'm pretty sure when Anthony Minghella died, the director, he still hadn't gotten that money. Wow. Although he had been offered the money, but he said, you know what? I've directed some other successful movies and like there are people who haven't done much since then. There are like, like his crew. He was like, if they don't get the money, I'm not taking that money. You pay them and they wouldn't. So. Wow. Yeah. I've heard other kind of stories about Miramax. Like. Yeah, the Weinsteins. They're the Weinsteins, yeah. Sketchy folk. And how they kind of... There are a lot of filmmakers who have had a lot of issues with them. They buried... uh, They did Dead Man. Jim Jarmusch always has Final Cut. It's in his contract every time out. And they wanted to cut some stuff out of it. And he said, well, no, because it's in the contract. And they're like, well, I mean, do you want us to release it or no? And he's like, well, I assumed you would. You made, you gave me the money to make it. And he's like, well, I mean, you know, we might not put it out there. And he's like, well, I made it and I made it for me. So I'm done with it. Which is actually the same thing that uh, Billy Bob Thornton said to them when they wanted to cut Sling Blade. Mm. He's like, I didn't make it to make money. I made it for me. And uh, they just they didn't promote Dead Man. They put it out there, but nobody went to see... I mean, Dead Man was not a movie that a lot of people were going to go see anyway. Right. Have you seen Dead Man? Um, no, I haven't. It's I've, I have it on DVD, and like I've, I, I got I to gotta watch it. I mean, it's a black and white Western. In, mm. It's like the mid-90s. Um, 
And like, yeah, Johnny Depp's in it and he's a star, but it's like... And it's got songs by Neil Young. It's got like, the constant, like, uh, you know, like Jim Jarmusch, like static shots that go on forever. And it's... I like I don't like I'm I'd like to think that Miramax they would be smart enough to not buy that property thinking they were going to make millions of dollars right. off it but I don't know. But yeah, it is there was like that era though that four rooms kind of shows that that like that Miramax era where it's like oh it's exciting times there's these indies out there mm-hmm. and like it's going to like change the way of movies and it but didn't it, at all. It's really sad like I mean four rooms the way that like all four of the stories are presented and like just what they all are it feels like it, it rem- you know what it reminded me of what playfest yeah yeah i thought about that a few times while watching it because it's like you know you have these like you know little shorts and they're very very theatrical in the way that they're staged mostly because like you were talking about like the set limitations yeah and it, it you know it's about stories that each take place in their own room which translates well to like the a stage, theater a theater yeah. setting because you just have this one setting and the acting is so over the top in this movie like what what did you think about tim roth in this i thought a lot of things about tim roth <laughs> early on i was like this is gonna be good like this is interesting what he's doing and stuff and then by the end of it i was like i'm done with him doing this yeah seriously i'm done with his shtick which is amusing because by the end of it i i like the way he is in the man from hollywood Mm -hmm. because he calms down yeah he's much more restrained and i feel like i don't know if that was either just like the other directors were like telling him to play it up and or just being like, well, he's the character that go- that like goes from story to story, so he has to be the same throughout, so right. we shouldn't mess with him too much. And then Tarantino's like, fuck that. I'm going to mess with it because I'm Tarantino. Which is sort of the attitude they all should have had if that was the case. Mm-hmm. But, like, I liked where it was going when it started because I liked that kind of physical comedy. And yeah, like, but it wasn't, it was just like... It felt like a chore sometimes to just get through some shots of yeah. him, like awkward, like his awkward reactions to stuff, mm. and like him just being like, "Oh, I'm scared that I might get shot, and I'm I'm awkward in this weird sex situation." And oh, and I, I didn't, I couldn't always understand his motivations, especially in um, the the second one. The yeah, like rock- why didn't he just leave? Why or? Yeah, because that door was not locked. Right? No, it wasn't. And the, and like, why and didn't in... why didn't he untie her ever? I don't like know. the guy kept like leaving the room and stuff, and he just would not untie her. He would not leave the room, and it's almost like, well, he can't leave the room because that means the end of the, of the movie. Yeah, <laughs> like there's, exactly. That's so stupid. Yes, that it drove me crazy <sighs> during that second segment because it's just like it doesn't make any sense. Like, if the guy had done something to like block the door in some way. That would excuse him not leaving, and then because of and that, and when he does he try wouldn't... to escape, he tries to escape through the window in the bathroom. Yeah, and it's like, why didn't you just, if you wanted to leave, like you could have just turned around and left. Although that, like, it's stupid that he would do that, and the uh, there's no reason for this shot. But that's one of my favorite shots in the movie when the screen it looks like comic book panels when he's like half inside the window and half out. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not centered, it's like a little like the it's like the left side is a little smaller than the right side and like 
and the color scheme is different because mm-hmm. it's and I really liked the way that looked, but the reason that that shot exists is be, is there's no reason. Yeah, and it kind of pissed me off. And it's the same thing with like, I guess just the the plotting of like the first story as well. Okay, this reminds like another thing that was similar to Playfest. <laughs> okay is uh, something i forgot that i'd read in that book and i think i might have mentioned this to you the other day i mentioned it to somebody they all wrote the script right to, like they, well they all wrote their own segments mm-hmm. and they and all it felt like they were written in the span of eight hours honestly <laughs> and like they showed it to each other they all like compiled it into one screenplay and they were like cool all right we got what we're gonna do now let's like work on it and make do second drafts and then tarantino was like oh no i handed it in and they're like, what? And they're like, no, I handed it in. It was a good first draft. And he's like, yeah, but it was the first draft. Like, do we get to do another? And Tarantino's like, no, we're going to shoot in like however long. Tarantino <laughs> handed in their first draft. They didn't get, and like, yeah, you can do some stuff on the set or like before shooting to try and like beef it up. But like the script Miramax approved was their first draft, which is very similar to Playfest. You just write it in a few hours, you send it in, and you're done. <laughs> I mean, like, it makes sense, because that's what it feels like yeah. when you're watching the movie. Like, this is an incomplete so, like, it, idea. You, you just imagine, like, you, what we're seeing is basically, like, they shot the first draft of the script, and then the producers cut random shit from it. So, we don't, like, maybe the the whole Coven thing, maybe there was, like, a reason for all that to happen. Besides just, like oh cool all these hot 90s actresses are being all hot uh, <laughs> yeah and it's like the girl from big top peewee who was who uh, the girl from big top peewee um the girl valeria gudin she was in rain man and hot shots which one was um, she in, in she was the first one to show up i forget her character's name oh okay the the italian one right gotcha yeah. but yeah and sammy davis and alicia witt who oddly enough had electrical tape on her nipples <laughs> and apparently it was like not, I was confused by her character because it's like Madonna's character was her mom but they're sleeping together but and she's, she's one of the witches really but witch, she's not yeah. but she is then and she it, like the, it's missing something yeah and I mentioned this right after the movie ended like I wish that they had gotten a more famous person to play the goddess um, who appears at the end because it would have been some sort of payoff because there's no payoff. Yeah, but like that is that like that's a story without an ending. And I said to you, like when that one ended and the next one started, I was like, was that is that are, is that over? And like I like that you didn't tell me really, because like, <laughs> then I was thinking like maybe we go back to them, we see them in pieces. No, but no, no, it's just it's such a fucking weird thing, and I mean. Especially to start the movie like like that, it puts you in this whole weird kind of mind because it's like, like I really ideally I feel like that kind of a story should be the last story because it's like, or maybe like the second to last or something where it's like, you don't introduce the fact that there are fucking magical witches like right off the bat. Yeah, because it seems like hey, there's magic going on in this hotel let's yeah. uh why don't those characters overlap why is it just that one couple like yeah because like if you took if you took that out 
the three remaining stories, they all have overlapping characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the witch one just is, like, it's in its own little world. Like, all it does is, like, oh, he can't mention it to Marissa Tomei later. That's the only time that witches come up again. And you, you see the, 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 the cherries, cherries yeah. and her number or whatever. Who is it? Ioni Sky. That was the actress. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, and that's, like, it's weird also because it's, like, it, we're supposed to feel like, oh, he's in this really awkward predicament, like being in this room with this beautiful naked girl what's he gonna do you know and he has to be hypnotized to like you know get it on where it's like where all she wants from him is like his fucking sperm yeah and it's like dude that's not a problem (laughs) yeah i didn't really get like they didn't develop him to the point where we would know like oh well he's afraid of women or he's gay or something or he's like i don't yeah I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And like we only had that one brief introduction scene of him before it started mm-hmm. with him and Mark Lawrence, which they we did, but we didn't really. And like he sort of like predicts like things to stay away from. Yeah, like keep it in your pants. Which I guess that's the reason why he didn't want to get it on with the I guess the and like stay lady. out of arguments between married people and I forget the other things he said but I'm assuming things that line up with right. the other two don't chop anybody's fingers off oh I should say that um, uh, Mark Lawrence who I didn't know who he was I looked him up on IMDB after the movie and his first movie was um, of 219 credits he's got on IMDB was uh, If I Had a Million from 1932, <clears throat> which is somewhat similar to Four Rooms in that it was a bunch of different directors who were at Paramount um, who were assigned to direct short films based on the premise of, like, if some random character just got a million dollars, what would they do? And um, he was in it. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of people were in it. Charles Lawton, W.C. Fields... And yeah, I I've only seen the uh, the Charles Lawton one that Ernst Lubitsch directed, but yeah. So I'm I'm wondering if maybe that's part of the reason why he was in this. But Tarantino was involved, so it might also be because he made several Italian action films in the seventies. Mm. Yeah. But man, oh man, like I, I feel bad for Tim Roth. <laughs> like watching the movie, I just, I'm just, you know, I was just like, because he's trying so hard. Yeah. And he never lets up, and it, it's tiring to watch him in this movie because he's so. His expressions are so over exaggerated. I just wish that he was like. Toned down. It's it's just it's really just like sad. Like no nobody comes out of this movie looking in a positive light because all four of the films feel like they were thrown together in like 24 hours like Playfest, or like they feel like they're like student films almost bruce willis i really like bruce willis in this i think mm. <laughs> uh he's so many people often kind of underrate because he's usually not asked to do much. 
I really li- I I don't know. No, he's he's cool in this. His performance might have been my favorite performance. Him and I liked Jennifer Beals. I mean, I didn't like her segment was very frustrating. Her, her, she was the she was the second. With, she had the gag in the mouth, yeah. and like she got back later. That man, that that segment, that one really feels like a student film to me, because it just has those problems of like of a first draft of, of, of motivation and yeah, problems of a first draft. It feels like it's just, and it's trying to be cool too much. Like, oh, we've got a gun, and we've got a guy from Mean Streets. And UHF. I know that actor from UHF. I forgot he was in Mean Streets until I just went on IMDb a second ago. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try to act smart, Tim. I know him from the Weird Al movie. <laughs> and just the dialogue is just like written so like it was rough. The f- those first two segments are really hard to get through. Although my two least favorite moments in the film come in the Robert Rodriguez one. And um, they aren't necessarily connected in any way to like aesthetic quality of cinema or anything like that. It's just things that freak me out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Wait, was one of them the, uh, the smelling of the feet? Because Re- somewhat related. Because, it, th- no, it was, because knowing that... that Quentin Tarantino has like a foot fetish. Yeah. Seeing like this little girl and this little boy, like the little girl's like, come smell my feet. Oh God. And, and the way like she's, super, she's wagging yeah, her the way finger, she's like, like beckoning hey. him close, sort of seducing him with her foot. It was. And then like this little kid, they like, crawls up onto the bed and like he looks at her and then starts smelling the feet. I was like, this is fucked up, man. Yeah. I was like, this is, where are they going with this creepiness? Um, that wasn't the part though. It's when he puts his toes in his mouth. I gagged. I literally gagged. I don't, and I don't often gag. And I watch some sick shit, um, <laughs> <laughs> but for some reason, little boy toe and mouth. That's. Do you I ever, do you ever put your uh, toes in your mouth when you were a kid? No, I. I mean, maybe when I was like a toddler, but not as like I, I put other people's toes in my mouth, which for some reason I didn't have a problem with. Well, you know, like girlfriends, things like that. Oh, but yeah, like, yeah. Um, I wasn't a fan of it, but you know, you try things. <laughs> Yeah, you gotta, you gotta try to please your lady. Okay. Um, I wouldn't do it like at the end of the day, but you know, if somebody's fresh out of the shower, sure, I'll put their toe in my mouth. Yeah, but uh, little kid toes, little kids are kind of gross. Yeah. The other day when I was hanging out with Ava, for those who don't know, Ava is this four-year-old I hang out with sometimes. Um, like she was like. Oh, Tim, will you hold my hand while we walk down the stairs? And I was like, sure. So we walked down the stairs and like we're halfway down and she's like, oh, just so you know, I have a lot of germs on my hand. And you're like, thanks. (laughs) And I like didn't, I was very careful with my hand for like the next like hour or so until I got to a sink to wash it. Because I was like, all right, kids are not always aware of how gross they are. So the fact that a four year old knows that her hand is gross is like what was she doing that's where like i don't ugh. yeah i don't like little kid um, hands but i mean you know way. situations like stairs and crossing the road you know you hold them just because i mean every t- i feel like every time like i've had like a kid like touch my hand like it's always sticky yeah and i'm just like this gross anyway, the other the other thing from that one that freaked me out was when he when Tim Roth 
pukes when oh, he screams yeah. and it's like like when he first sees his dead body he's like blah like it just, <laughs> it just comes pops out, yeah. out and i'm just like why why did that happen i don't understand like so many things in the movie why well, yeah what is going on Ah, and I don't. I'm like, I'd like to know the story about the girl in the bed, who he keeps calling a whore, and like maybe there is a connection to one of the other stories, but no, I don't like it. But I, the actress is not related to anything else, and he, the, the 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 Ted the bell the bellhop yeah. In that third story, he is the most different from the other three because he's in the other three he's like sort of these things are happening to him and he's like uh subjected to this kind of stuff and he's like seems really really meek and mild and like he can barely get words out because he's like you know oh so awkward and blah 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 but in like in the third one he's like trying to he almost is like an asshole to these kids yeah and it's it's kind of weird because he's he almost he suddenly becomes like menacing and i don't but at the same time like menacing in like a stupid way like with laurel and hardy where like hardy is kind of the dick but he's so stupid you still kind of feel bad for him yeah but um, i mean when like with the whole thing with the eyes where he puts the stuff on their eyes right. and like He's like, how could you see it if you had the stuff on your eyes? She's like, I washed it off. Didn't you ever think to wash it off? And he's like, oh. like, Yeah, but I mean, when it, when he is like, you know, calling her a whore and the kid is like, stop calling her that. Yeah. It's just like, he just comes off as like a total Yeah, like, where the movie doesn't really know how it wants us to feel about... The, well, I mean, it's a schizophrenic movie. There's four different yeah. things going on and they didn't really, couldn't really they get together They never established the character. Which they should have done that before they wrote their segments. And yeah. I didn't realize... Going into it, I thought he was going to be, like, in between each segment. Like, he'd mm. deliver something to the room, then he'd leave, and then that mo- that little movie would take place. That would have been better, probably. Like, I didn't realize, like, he was going to be, like, He's, like, a guy the main character and... in every single one. Yeah. Because that made it really tiresome. Because, yeah, like, by the end, you're just, like... And it's almost a relief, because he's in the last one, the, like, the least amount. You know, he's there, but he's not really, like... The camera's never focused on him. Because Tarantino's got to focus on himself. <laughs> yeah. and But at that point, it's like, you know, oh, thank God, you know, which maybe that was his plan all along. But. Yeah, he's like, hmm, I can trick my friends into doing this movie so that I can come in and look like a genius at the end. Yeah. And I mean, it kind of almost does kind of come across that way because his segment to me is the most enjoyable to watch. Like at that time, they were all going places. But then afterwards, Anders and Rockwell didn't really go anywhere. Kept working, but yeah, not on any like big level. And like I, I still haven't. Well, I saw. I found out earlier that Alison Anders directed Grace in My Heart, which I have seen because they used to show it on VH1 all the time. But I've never seen Gas Food and Lodging, which was like her big like that was her Sundance movie. And then um, In the Soup was Alexander Rockwell's Sundance movie, the year that Reservoir Dogs was there. And like I never saw In the Soup. I've never seen any Rockwell movie. Now, Rodriguez I've seen From Dust Till Dawn and Sin City. I've seen those and Desperado and Planet Terror. 
I've seen maybe like a good half hour of Shark Boy and Lava Girl. It yeah, <laughs> it is funny how like this in four rooms, like he kind of plays with the idea of like you like a young boy and a girl as like the protagonists yeah. of this in in this world of adults, you know. And we're kind of with them. And that's something that he went on to do three spy kids movies three spy kids and movie. shark boy and lava girl yeah and based on what i've what i've heard of planet terror it's not a kid movie no <laughs> and sin city is most definitely not a kid movie yeah and his machete movies as well oh that's right uh, which i haven't seen those but machete machete i do want to see machete kills just because the trailer was so ridiculous. Mm. Yeah, I wanted to watch anything after four rooms just to wash the taste out of my mouth. I mean, it's a movie that, like, and I said it right after we were done, like, I don't remember it being as bad as it is. And, I mean, the last time I saw it was probably, like, maybe ten years ago. So... I could easily see myself sometime down the road being like you know i bet four rooms isn't as bad as i remember and yeah. going back to it yeah it's not like i mean it would sort of fit into um our theme in january mm-hmm. i don't know what but the box no, office take was on it or yeah like i don't i don't know about like the box office so much but as like something that is usually referred to in negative terms at least even if the actual like money wasn't negative but yeah but at the same time, I think, like, I'd rather watch this than any of those. Well, I mean, at least with this one, it's like, luckily it never stays on it. Like, because <clears throat> it is four separate films, you have the benefit of, like, well, we just got to wait a couple more minutes and we'll move <laughs> on to the next yeah. one. Yeah. Hopefully the next one's better. And then you watch it and you're like, oh, God. Why? All right, I like that Kathy Griffin was in this and um she had a very small role in pulp fiction and like i feel like why don't more people like like to put her in things like she's got a whole new career now she's just like a gossip talk show type person but like i don't know i never had a problem with her but apparently everybody thought she was annoying or something and like not gonna lie i always thought she was kind of cute Mm-hmm. Even before her nose job and stuff, like I don't know, I like that nose. Um, I, but, I I will you know. say that like that scene in this movie was probably my favorite scene when he's like talking on the phone with Marissa Tomei and yeah. Kathy Griffith. Like I thought that that was that was probably the best scene in the movie. And it was it felt like well, it also it was time to breathe, kind of. Also. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Between the oh, okay, he's not just running around. He's like he's not acting like uh, a total maniac. And, like, it sort of, like, put it in the real world a little bit. Like, there's stuff going on outside the hotel, yeah. and it's not all just... Uh, I don't know. And it, <laughs> and it's, like, it's set on New Year's Eve. Which they don't do anything but about. But it doesn't feel like it's New Year's Eve. It's, like... And I'm not sure of the time frame. So, like, what time is it when he goes to Quentin Tarantino's room? It must be after midnight like a ways after midnight because yeah. he's already like because i'm assuming the fireworks went off at midnight right which is because earlier 
uh, I was talking to Gavin and he was saying at one time he was in Missouri and he stayed at a, at a motel um, right next to this place where fireworks went off like every like two hours or something. And like, so that's got to be weird for like all these fireworks going on right outside of a hotel room. Like, yeah. I mean, on New Year's, you assume everybody's awake, but right. But anyway, yeah, so like, so, you know, the fireworks happen and then the body's found and then he goes to the room and all that, like, and a lot of stuff happens after the fireworks mm. and then he goes down, he makes the phone call and then he go and it's like, and what happened with, he just pulled the needle out and like, it's like, oh, I guess it's fine now. Like, yeah, I, I mean, he was so. complaining about it, but. Yeah. <sighs> but I mean, that's the kind of thing like you, as a writer, you're, you're writing your one segment. Yeah. And you maybe try to throw those things oh, in and be like, oh, maybe corpse thing. You're not entirely sure what. Yeah, to... maybe someone else can play with that, you know, in their thing and sort of tie it together. But maybe they could have if they had another go at it, you know. And like, I mean, Tarantino mentioned it in the phone conversation, mm-hmm. which we knew was his scene as soon as we saw the red apple cigarettes. Right. Right. Yeah. It's funny. Yeah. As soon as it starts, it's like red apple cigarettes. Like. Welcome to the Tarantino-verse, you know, universe. And the camera even was, like, moving differently or something mm-hmm. at that point. It did seem like this portion of the movie had, like, a bigger budget or something. Like, everything just kind of, like, got, like... Uh, I did really like the opening credits. And it got me excited about yeah, the movie. Yeah, like, there's the, there's the opening segment when, like, there's the old bellhop and he's telling, you know, Tim Roth the ropes and yeah. he's like, you know... You'll be fine, whatever. And, you know, Tim Roth is acting, he's acting a little goofy, and you're like, oh, this is going to be, like, yeah, fun comedy. And then it goes into the into the credits, and it has that song playing, and it's a nice song. And the, it's like a whole animo- animated intro, and you're just like, this is going to be great. You know, it the reminds The beginning you, of all the Pink Panther It reminds movies. you of, like, those old school, like, yeah, Pink Panther Or all the, the Saul Bass opening credits for all the Hitchcock and Preminger films in the late 50s and 60s. Yeah. Like they're they're putting you in the mood for the movie mm-hmm. before it even starts, and, but it didn't live. It's, the movie didn't live up to that all mood. <laughs> downhill from there. It, like as soon as we start getting introduced to all the witches, it really goes downhill. What's Tim Roth doing now? Um, he's 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 been working. He had a TV show. He had a TV show like called Lie to Me. Yeah. Um, I, I I think the most recent movie I've seen him in was Planet of the Apes. Oh really? Which, which is I just recently which is thirteen years ago. Yeah, I just recently watched that movie, Tim Burton's Planet of the Apes, and he's really good in it. I mean, he's in full ape makeup, but I mean, he really works works that makeup. He comes across as a real scary bad guy. Oh, the Incredible Hulk! Yeah, I saw him in the Incredible Hulk. Um, I mean, he's an actor that's like, you know, he he was gonna be the big thing though. Like at that, like after Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, mm-hmm. which I mean, he had a small part in Pulp Fiction, right. but he was, uh, and like, I mean, I don't know what happened. I hope it wasn't Four Rooms that happened. What year did Four Rooms come out? I feel like Miramax DVDs never tell you. Does that one have it on it? Not that I see. 1995, the year before he did another Miramax movie, Everyone Says I Love You, the musical that Woody Allen did. Oh, it, this is Marissa Tomei on the cover, right? But it's like she looks completely different. Yeah, on the cover of the DVD, you will see a, uh, there's there's four people there. Uh, on the right, 
we have Tim Roth. Uh, Main know, character. Which makes sense. Then on the left, you have uh, Madonna, who's pretty big in the first story. Uh, Antonio Banderas, who's pretty big in the third story. And then in the center is Marissa Tomei with blonde hair. And, and she's all, like, made up and wearing a dress and stuff. She doesn't even look like Marissa Tomei. Yeah. And it's weird, because, like, we were looking at it earlier, and Tim was like, who is that? Like, who, is that the 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 witch from the beginning? Like, why would they put her on the cover? Yeah, like, like I thought what? it was Diana, the goddess that they bring back to life. And um... But, yeah, and then I, I just happened to glance over at the cover, and I was like, wait a minute, that's Marissa Tomei. And she she doesn't look anything like she appears in the movie. No, and like again, like anybody, like I I guess we're forgetting how big a star Marissa Tomei was in 1995. We're like that's the draw. Yeah, and she's Front in and like center in the poster. Two minutes in the movie, maybe. Yeah, and she's good, but I mean, and I love Marissa Tomei, and she's she's still really hot, um, but also you know a good actress and stuff, but still really hot. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you haven't seen the wrestler. I haven't seen The Wrestler. Yeah, I've seen plays, some pictures she, online she, from The Wrestler. She plays a stripper. <laughs> um, so. Yeah. But I, well, recently, I think the most recent things I've seen her in were like uh, The Ides of March, where she tries to play kind of like a frumpy character, but she's, she's still hot. And Crazy Stupid Love, where she's just a hot person being hot. <laughs> Comedy, confusion, and chaos. Compliments of the house. That sums it up right there. Lots of confusion. Uh, and lots of chaos. Not so much. It's kind of light on the comedy, though. <laughs> just because something uh, isn't funny doesn't mean it's not a comedy. There, That thing is full of comedy. It's just not funny. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's bad comedy. Well, it's unfortunate. Like, it's, I mean, it's the kind of movie I wish was better. You know? It's, like, it's the kind of thing that you wish... You could watch and be like, "Oh, it's four really great films from some of like the, the great up and coming directors of the time, and like, all working together in this thing." And you got Tim Roth, who's a great actor, leading the way in this great slapstick performance. But unfortunately, everything I just said is just wrong. And I wonder, like, if they ha- if they did take their time, they did a few drafts of the script, and they had a little more. How long is the film? What's the running time on there? Um, ninety eight minutes. So if they'd given each of them like twenty something minutes, just a few more minutes each, maybe like they didn't cut out stuff, they let them work on it more, they had more time. It could have been like maybe not great, but better. Yeah, and like it could have led to like all four directors having like good careers after. Like, oh, they did that great segment from Four Rooms. Let's have them do this or something, and like. And then we would look back at it not as like, oh, Rodriguez and Tarantino did this movie. Right. It'd be like, oh, here's this movie with these four directors with this great body of work and we can see how it fits in. Instead of just being like a footnote in Tarantino's filmography. (laughs) Yeah, which is, that's, and like I always would hear people, like I'd reference it like, oh, I've never seen that. And people would be like, oh, the Tarantino one's really good. The Rodriguez one's okay. The other ones suck. And, like, I would always think, like, maybe they just think that because they're huge Tarantino Rodriguez right. fans. But, but no. No, that's it's just the truth about it. Yeah. I mean, like, those two first ones are insufferable. Like, I just <sighs> cannot imagine sitting down and re-watching those two again. I mean, maybe the first one, because <laughs> it's a little, you know. There's a, yeah. at least a little something special on the 
just in the pure <sighs> visceral element of it. It's but. like a Jess Franco film or something. It's but just but shot like a TV movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, or a student film. Yeah. How would you rank the four films we watched this month? Um. Hmm. The four films we watched. Just to recap. Um. We we started with the woman. Then we watched Silent Running. Then Easy Virtue and Easy Living. Or, yeah, not Easy Virtue. That's a Hitchcock, Hitchcock movie. Yeah. Easy Living. And then there was a new version a few years ago too. Really? Yeah. Huh. And uh, Four Rooms. Four completely different movies. Uh, which I'm glad that happened. Just totally was... different. About as different as you can be. At one point, I was gonna like really like mix it up and like, we still have yet to watch a documentary mm. and I was going to watch it. I was going to bring a documentary instead of easy living, but it was going to be capturing the Freedmen's, which I have that actually. You have, you seen it? No, I haven't watched it. You kind of know what it's about then though. Like, a little bit like a, it's a family who's like, it's a little close to the woman in that it's like a big family right. secret that, and yeah, then I was yeah. like, that's weird to talk about. Cause people might just think like Tim's got some skeletons in his closet. And he's <laughs> like, <laughs> but it's, the only it's skeleton, really The only great. skeletons you have in your closet involve a piggy bank that was stolen. <laughs> eight years old. But capturing the Freedmans is one of like maybe the, the five best documentaries I've ever seen. It's mm. amazing. But yeah, I just decided to go in a completely different direction with Easy Living. So if I was to rank them, it's kind of tough. I mean, because they're they're all so different. Yeah. It's like, how do you even judge like the merits yeah. of them? And I know? mean, you know, we don't have to rank them because it is kind of like the whole idea of like ranking art and stuff. Yeah. Even though we did the Oscars last time. But that's like, but what, the, that's what the game is in the right, Oscars. Is yeah. Like, is ranking them. Um, I mean, I'll say my least favorite was Four Rooms. But yes, uh, definitely, <laughs> definitely. Four rooms was the least. I'm having trouble picking between. I think my 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 favorite was Easy Living, and then I don't know about si- it's. How do you choose between Silent Running and <laughs> The Woman? Like there are yeah. two movies you never would even think you'd have to compare, and like I I really they they are they do different things for me. I mean, I definitely had the most fun watching Easy Living. That's for sure. It's, I mean, it's the most fun out of. Out of the four that we that we chose, yeah, it's the one least likely to piss you off. Uh, so anybody to anybody listening who like wants to watch one of these movies, if you haven't seen any of them yet, yeah, it's probably the easiest to <laughs> swallow. And it's the one that, it's the one that I could probably see myself like rewatching again, sometime in the not too distant future. You know, mm-hmm. like a year or two down the road, like like oh you know he's living. I'd, I'd rewatch it. You know, I don't. I'm. I don't necessarily need to go see Silent Running again anytime soon. But yeah, so um, that was fun. I liked. Uh, even if we're not gonna, <laughs> I mean, no, it's impossible now because I was gonna say like, even if we're not going to uh, continue on with the, with the theme of like surprising each other, like I almost want to like. I wish I could have the experience of like not knowing what we're about to watch until we watch it just for all of our future movies. But I mean, we should do this again. It'd be fun. Yeah. 
like maybe even again this year like this could be like every few months we do this because like it was i just i just think it's not as i did not expect silent running i was (laughs) like what's going on (laughs) yeah um i just think it it's not as uh good in the podcast kind of realm because it's fun for us but not necessarily for our listeners who like don't have that aren't experiencing it all you know what i mean i'm not in it for the listeners i'm in it for my own enjoyment damn it um so but you know we have to give the listeners some love yeah so that's why next month we're gonna let you decide listener's choice do you want to do that (laughs) (laughs) yeah listener's choice if you're listening to this tell us what we should watch and we'll watch it and then we'll talk about it and it, it's it's almost like you know what we just did only yeah. you know we're not we don't know what what people are going to choose they might choose something really weird now um so i mean like so it's, it's just like so let's say 50 people send in suggestions <laughs> <laughs> Stop the presses. <laughs> um, How do we choose? Is it just like, if there are four with more than one vote or something, or just like whichever four we really want to watch? Or... Um, I mean, if there's like, you know, if it say, <laughs> all right, I'll play along in your fantasy realm where 50 people suggest movies for us. Or like 37, however many people like us on Facebook right now. I mean, if there's like a movie that happen. like, you know, has multiple suggestions for it then like yeah we should do that yeah. one but yeah i mean either that or we could just like colin which four movies you want to see <laughs> yeah although th- this was a suggestion from erica so yeah maybe, er- maybe yeah. she'll finally uh or maybe she has been listening i don't know so we'll 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 put it out on onto the facebook on our hopefully this will draw more people to our page and to the show yeah. and yeah I, i'm i'm curious to see what people might want to want to do so we'll find out next time thank you for joining us for another exciting episode of talking movies i'm max and i'm tim and we'll see you next time